Blog Talk Radio. Hello, this is Gigabit Nation, Broadband Talk Radio. I'm your host, Craig Settles, and I want to thank everyone for joining us today. Uh, this is going to be a very great show for today and the next couple of days. We are broadcasting live from the Fiber to the Home Council conference here in Dallas. And there's a, there's a lot going on. There's there's hundreds, if not that, there are thousands of people here, and it is uh, a lot of uh, you know what's going on with the technology, new developments, new business models, all kinds of stuff. So what I'm going to do is give you a snippet, if as it were, of um, of the show through the the guests that we have uh, that are going to be with us. So we're going to cover some interesting stuff we're going to cover today, economic development, and we're going to be talking in an hour with uh, Lafayette, Louisiana, and talking about their uh, network and progress that they're having with that. And then we'll cap it off today with uh, an interview that will look at uh, building fiber-to-the-home networks on a shoestring budget. Yes, folks, it can be done, and we're going to learn how uh, in just a little bit. So stay with us. This is going to be a great day. Uh, Starting off, we are going to talk specifically about uh, economic development. Um, I have uh, been in the midst of doing a national survey of economic development professionals, and uh, I have actually released a preliminary uh, uh, report on some of those findings, and then next Sunday I will actually release the full-on report in um, in Houston. So joining us today is Ken Demlau, who is the National Business Development Manager for Newcom Technologies. And earlier today, uh, Ken did a session here at the conference on economic development. Uh, he and I have talked a number of times on, on the subject. And so together, we're hoping to give you some really good information about how does broadband impact uh, economic development. So, Ken, welcome to the show. Thank you. So let's start off with um, what did you talk about today? What was the what was the key message? Well, with economic development, uh, you know, fiber, the, the projects that get done are – uh, big enough projects, typically expensive enough projects. That the real question is, well, what do you do? You know, what what can the leaders of telcos or uh, municipalities, uh, what can they do um, with that asset? And we call it economic development or community development. But the, you know, but the big question is, you invest that much, so then what can you do with it? So, what I talked about uh, in our session this morning was, uh, we as an industry. Uh, in the telecommunications industry, in the fiber industry, if we can figure out how to uh, get information together of uh, studies that are done, uh, who's doing what and, and is being successful, that if we can get that information together and we can package that information for folks, then that will help them decide, uh, again, whether it be telcos or municipal leaders, that can help them decide what project to go with, what options to do, but then particularly how to leverage that because mm-hmm. that community development from there, the economic development from there, if you're going to spend millions, you need to know where the return is going to be. Right. So talked about how to uh, get the information for that. Mm-hmm. Now, earlier, actually, I had a conversation with um, one of the editors at uh, Light Reading, I believe it is, and we talked about um, how are folks measuring uh, the the impact and is there a difference in how say smaller communities measure the value than large urban 
cities? How would they measure the, the value? That's a great question. I, in, in one of the things that I talked about today was, you know, in figuring out uh, what to do with community development or economic development, really the, the leaders, whether it be, again, telco leaders or municipal leaders, they really need to, to focus on what are they trying to, to, to produce? What are they trying to do? Um, and so, Craig, what I found, interestingly, uh, working with larger cities and smaller cities, how they uh, determine what their return on investment or how they determine what their uh, the results are going to be really is quite varied. Um, some view the return on investment strictly in terms of cash. You know, how can we measure how much money we're going to get? Others determine it on economic development, which call centers can we go after or how can we position ourselves to do that? Um, but others um, view it in terms of how can we uh, provide uh, telehealth? How can we allow older folks to stay in their homes in our community? How can we keep our young people from leaving? Um, not near as interested in developing a call center or even the cash return, mm-hmm. but on what quality of life can they do? So uh, I think I see it more in terms of what's the result and less in terms of uh, uh, or what results are they looking for is even more so in terms of small versus larger, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So... Um if I look at, say, some of the con- conventional measurement blocks, uh, new business that's attracted, mm-hmm. uh, for example, how does that usually pan out? Someone says, okay, well, we built a network a year ago, and we have you know, this many companies that came in directly resulting from that. I mean, how, how would the metrics look? That's in a that great question. Scenario? That's a great question. Actually, let me take a step back. Uh, Take, come and mention one thing mm-hmm. before I get there. Um, so, uh, in, in talking with a lot of uh, telco leaders, uh, municipal leaders, um, I find uh, a really interesting, I consider fairly problematic, disconnect between uh, what the folks are, you know, who are looking at a project and then how the economic development people are going to be using that project. To give you an example, I uh, found some of the uh, top cities in the nation for job retention, job growth, and uh, uh, wage growth, and uh, found that they all had, coming to some statistics you just came out with in mm-hmm. one of your reports, uh, that they all had 50 to 100 meg um, uh, broadband speeds, which are good speeds, and your research has shown that, uh, that those are good speeds for economic development. I talked to the economic development people in those cities, and interestingly enough, not one of them, not one of them knew what their speed was, and not one of them t- had a real, here's how we're leveraging that for economic development. So um, th- there's this disconnect where uh, in the industry, uh, us helping folks uh, see how they can use that for, to, how they can use their uh, broadband resources uh, for economic development. Uh, that's actually a first piece is that, that that leveraging and how is it going to be leveraged how do you do that uh, are things that, uh, that i just i'll be speaking to a, a group of city managers and they'll all say not all but a large number will say hey can you come talk to economic development people because they don't know these things mm-hmm. it's, it's a really interesting disconnect from there and this kind of i think is kind of more what your question was um in looking at how the how they determine the success 
of or folks that have a broadband project and how they determine the success. Um, boy, that Craig, it's interesting. That is really varied uh, mm -hmm. and, and kind of surprisingly varied. I mean, some just go by uh, surveys where their residents say they're happy um, that they like the speeds. Uh, some just go based off of whether or not they get negative feedback. Um, some have uh, cash return on investment uh, where they look and say, okay, how much are we getting back you know, based on that, uh, that, that, that investment that we made. Um, and some, I'd say the majority, um, if it's available, they'll look at some businesses that came and be able to point out, hey, you know, broadband was a factor there. But as far as is there, most cities, interestingly enough, particularly most municipalities, um, don't have a real good metrics, interestingly enough. Mm -hmm. it's, it's more, it's much more informal, which one of the things I've been talking about is, is that we, uh, giving them more tools of how to leverage that and then how to measure that mm -hmm. is something that uh, that I think we can we can help with. Mm -hmm. I mean, our, well, let me ask you, you know, what, what does your company do and in doing what you do, at which point does the discussion of economic development and its me measurements come into play? Well, our company, interestingly enough, our, our company isn't actually focused on this on on the uh, the economic development side of it as much as it may seem. Um, we actually are a telecommunication engineering firm, and in engineering fiber, we've engineered tens of thousands of miles of fiber and fiber projects, and we work with municipalities on feasibility studies. Um, seeing what assets are already there and how can they develop a, a, a network, a fiber network out of that. From that, we started uh, doing all of our work in GIS um, mapping. And uh, so, like in the projects, we um, fiber projects, we map the fiber splices and all that kind of stuff. And then we move that, those two pieces, into Smart Grid, which is another kind of good function of that. Um, the reason I got involved on this side of it's interesting. Um, it's the projects when I go in to work with uh, either a telco or a municipality. When I go in to start talking about the project they want to do, and we're looking at feasibility and that sort of thing, um, always, almost always, there's an economic development person in there mm -hmm. in that group. And when we start talking about how you're going to use this, I typically get just blank stares. And so I've actually uh, just started talking with them about that, helping them with, with that. Um, but it's more just a value-added piece of putting mm -hmm. together a project. So, yeah. so in general, then, would you recommend that every community that's going to tackle this project, in however way they ultimately end up doing it, in terms of who provides a service, but should they, should there be a sit-down meeting with the economic development folks to give them a broadband 101 discussion? Absolutely, Craig. Okay. Absolutely. <laughs> I, if if they could if they could understand, having a couple pieces there. One, if they could understand, you know, it's interesting. We even have a a, a separation of terminology. Even the, the the terminology that we use about how many you know how many megs or how many you know the, the terminology we use uh, isn't something that they typically talk about. So if we could talk through. Here's the basics of what are going to happen, but then take the next step of, okay, so how can you leverage this, and what are people doing to leverage it, and and, and how are people being successful with that? That would that's in my book uh, a necessary component of the beginning conversations, okay. and it and it doesn't happen very often, and that's 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 a 
thing that needs to be developed. Right, okay. And it seems like this has been consistent over um, over time. I mean, I've, I've been doing these, uh, these surveys of economic development people since, oh, 2006. And in general, I have found that people um, in the economic development realm have a general understanding, but maybe not an in-depth understanding. And if you're lucky, they will be willing to admit what they don't know and then go out and try to find that 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 information. Yeah, I, I think that's right. Now, one of the things I've been I've done a number a number of articles in the last couple of weeks, sort of leading up to this uh, this report, and I've talked about the other another disconnect, which is we have um, elected officials and policymakers, particularly from the D.C. side, kind of presenting a national vision and all of that. But they pick out certain economic outcomes, such as, well, this will help us increase convention business. And in 2006, the big drive for Muni Wi-Fi was we will convince kids who go away to college to come back home again because we'll have this network. And so what I felt was that the politicians rev up a hype cycle about what the benefits are, which may or may not be true. But what what I sort of feel the disconnect is that economic development people don't see the same thing. Like they will look at that same technology and say, "Oh no, this technology, if it's going to be wireless, isn't going to convince anybody to move back." Mm-hmm. You know, it may convince people to have a you know a convention here, but really that's not going to have a significant economic impact, right? Mm-hmm. So, do you see that kind of a disconnect where the elected officials are on one page? And the econ, you know, development folks on another. Yeah. Well, absolutely. And, and you know, to take that even a step further, you know, what are economic development people trained in, and what are they, uh, what what are they measured by? Mm-hmm. Well, they're trained in a, a process uh, that doesn't, at this point, hasn't much included fiber and, and how to leverage that. Uh, their training is more in. And this isn't. I don't want to paint with true brush. Mm-hmm. Stroke here, but but their training is typically in figuring out how to find out which businesses are trying to locate somewhere, contacting them, the economic incentive package to put together to lure them, mm-hmm. you know that sort of thing, um, and they're measured by well, and it varies, but typically they're measured by how many jobs are created or how many businesses did you land that sort of thing. Well, fiber and doing a fiber project is a whole different set of leveraging, and. The the measurements of that uh, again it, it goes back to uh, is there a focus that everybody's on the same page on is there a focus on this is what we're trying to achieve um, just to give you a quick example um, I was talking with um, Pam Lehman from uh, the Lacparle County Minnesota economic she's the economic development director there and I was talking they just they did a fiber project not long ago and I was asking our countywide fiber project. I was asking her, so, you know, what type of businesses are you trying to lure? What type? And she said, Ken, I need to stop you there. She said, jo- jobs are fine, and, and, you know, obviously that's a great thing. We want to attract jobs, but that's not why we're doing this. Mm-hmm. We're doing this because we want to be able to have our uh, seniors be able to stay in their homes. We want to be able to start businesses. We want to be able to have people telecommute, those sort of things. Here's the great thing, Craig. In, in, in their situation, they had their political leaders and their economic development people together on here's what we want to see happen with this. Mm-hmm. Well, those criteria had very little to do with landing a factory. Mm-hmm. Uh, it had more to do with these these other outcomes and can we get those and can we do that. Um, so 
if the political leaders and the economic development leaders, if they can get on the same page about this is, first off, here's how we're going to leverage it, and second of all, here's how, here's the, the things, the outcomes we want to see, um, then everybody can be on the same path of here's where we're headed. To give you one other quick example, uh, in our industry, we refer to Chattanooga a lot. Uh, mm -hmm. Because Chattanooga has done such an outstanding job with getting a good fiber project and then, then what to do with that. I've maintained for quite a while now, uh, I think it's wonderful how they develop their system and how they develop their network. Mm -hmm. But I think what they've done for the rest of us uh, to really show us, one of the biggest things they've done is they've shown how to leverage it. They mm -hmm. have leveraged it. They have marketed it. They, but but again, they're all on the same page: economic development and fiber people and EPB, the the utility. Uh, they're all on the same page about how can we use this expensive asset uh, really well, and they have hit a home run. Uh, mm -hmm. So, so yeah, the degree to which those folks can get on the same page as they go into a project and agree on what the outcomes are going to be can also help with how to use it once it's there. Mm -hmm. So now, is are there recommended, I don't know, two or three steps for how to get people on the same page? No. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fair enough, Great, fair enough. We're actually counting on you for that. So. <laughs> we're making this stuff up as we go with well, a little bit of help. Okay, no, no, but, that's but fair, that, that's fair. But interestingly, I mean, and just to kind of go back to something I said a little bit ago, you know, when I go talk to city managers, they actually ask me to go talk to the economic development people. Well, why? And it's because there's there is a disconnect, and I think they're they're all feeling it, especially when you're talking about spending ten million dollars. They feel it. Um, and and so again, I'm an engineering company that's helping put these you know feasibility and putting these kind of projects together. Um, that's one of the things again, a value added thing that we bring to the table to say, okay, here's something you're going to need to do. Here's something we're going to need to work on. Uh, but is there a one two three step plan? Um, now, Craig, interestingly, just very briefly, um, in our industry, we've had a, a three-piece mantra that we've used for, for for quite a while, and it's good. And it's access, access, adoption, and use, meaning mm -hmm. getting getting it in the ground so there's access to it, getting people to adopt it, and then showing them how to use it. Um, those are all from the get the project going side. Mm -hmm. uh, what one thing I'm kind of trying to say a lot and get the word out in is that there's another piece and that's leverage, which is goes to the economic development, community development side, um, that that uh, that we need to bring in that leverage discussion when we're putting the plan together, but also teaching economic development folks how to leverage it. Mm -hmm. uh, because if you get a $10 million asset, it's a good thing to know how to leverage it. Right, right, okay. And then, in fact, that's an important dis um, distinction, I think, that is only – I'm only hearing for the first time in the last couple of months, which is creating an asset. I think that um, people talk about creating infrastructure. They talk about creating a utility. But maybe the better umbrella for this is an asset. Mm -hmm. um, because if I'm not mistaken, once you create this as an asset, it is viewed differently. Mm -hmm. Then, okay, we, we just, you know, instead of building a new road, we just happen to have built a new digital road. Well, okay, that has a certain imagery, but if you say we have created a new asset, then all of a sudden I think you can then have that discussion you're talking about as far as leverage because, oh, this this is an asset, this is not an, and it's our asset. I mean, it's our community asset. I think that's right. And, and, you know, one good image that we've had for several years is that, you know, that broadband is similar to a road. It's mm -hmm. similar to 
the water infrastructure. I mean, it's an infrastructure utility thing. That's a good imagery, and it's it's been a good imagery to help us think. Okay, but there's a problem there. I think um, the the challenge is is that 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 image runs into um, a, a possible block if we're not careful. Um, it 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 is an asset like those, or, or it is it is utility like those. Like those other things I talked about, it is uh, something that you know it's been compared to electricity and running electric lines. So you mm -hmm. run fiber lines. The, the difference is is that this has to be monetized differently, and it has to be paid for differently, and it has to have a return that's different. And the asset picture of that really is, I think, a much more helpful thing because if you look at it as in terms of an assets, then how do we get a return on that investment? How do we get a return on that asset? And that's where the leverage part comes in. And, and so there's nothing wrong by any means of viewing it as uh, infrastructure like all the other infrastructure we've done. The difference is, is that the powerful things that can be done with this, like, you know, if you have a broadband and a good fiber infrastructure, what you can do with smart grid, what you can do with telehealth, what you can do with uh, education, um, you know, what you can do with smart grid. I'm sure I mentioned that, but, mm -hmm. but with those different, very powerful things, and how do you how do you get a return through those things? Uh, is a different way of looking at it, a different way of looking at a utility. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think we need to uh, be, be able to think beyond just this is the same thing as electrical line or same thing as a road, because this is there's so much more dynamic, and and, and that dynamic that being dynamic also has some return on investment if we leverage it correctly. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's sort of looking at it as a, an ROI plus the benefits of a utility as opposed to just being a benefit. Yeah. And actually, one, one quick – let me just – that's, that's a great point, Craig. Let mm -hmm. me just make a quick uh, quick example of that. Um, the uh, – you know, in talking about the ways of, of giving tools for how to leverage it, uh, of, that I mentioned before, of having studies and then having real examples um, and, and how those can help uh, – Leaders make decisions on what um, uh, on what to do with the project and how to do return. Um, there's a, a study done by the University of Tennessee. Uh, Eric Ogle uh, with the University mm -hmm. of Tennessee uh, is, is a good champion of this. Um, they did a, a study about the Appalachian states, and it, it's a broad study that deals with a lot of topics. But one of the topics they deal with is broadband. And just getting back to what you said, there there is a return on investment, but there's also a community aspect. Um, in that study, um, they said that uh, in Appalachia, over 70% of survey participants in, throughout Appalachia cited poor telecommunication and Internet access as likely obstacles to economic growth. Now, that's so that's the, the economic side of it. Mm -hmm. But just what you said on the community side, here's a couple other comments that were in that study. The impacts of poor access, however, go far beyond commerce. The social and cultural effects of lack of broadband connectivity are also profound. Mm -hmm. You know, So there's a... Financial side, there's a leveraging return on investment side, but then there's also community development side, which kind of goes beyond economic development. And broadband broadband brings all those things that that I think kind of go beyond how we've thought about typical infrastructure mm -hmm. for for decades. Right, right, right. Okay, let's uh, let's do this little exercise. I'm going to go through um, the economic uh, development outcomes that were in the in the survey and you can tell me in a general sense i mean granted there are exceptions and all that but how 
likely this outcome is to be important when a community looks at broadband. Right. So the first one was attracting new businesses. You know, again, having a uh, the leaders combined with economic de- development people focusing on what are, what do we want our outcomes to be. I would tend to say that most uh, most civic leaders would say that that's a pretty important outcome. You know, mm-hmm. if the, the attracting new businesses, attracting jobs, um, that, that that would be pretty high on most folks' list. Mm-hmm. Not everybody's, by the way, because mm-hmm. some of them go more with what can I do for current residents. But I'd say most would have that as a pretty high, pretty high desire. Okay. Next one is um, making local businesses more competitive. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that's a, a really interesting uh, concept because in dealing with the, the municipalities that I deal with and those uh, those officials, um, one of the things we always do is sit down and talk to the current businesses, talk to them about what they what they have. Um, and Craig, it's stark. If they, um, if if the broadband access isn't very good, um, the the businesses want to talk a lot about that. They, uh, you know, for example, in one city, I was dealing with a business that um, had uh, offices basically all over the nation, but their headquarters were in this one city in Illinois, and they had to exchange engineering files, you know, CAD type files. And the broadband wasn't really great. They didn't have fiber. They still had a cable plant that was mm-hmm. pretty, pretty small. They spoke a lot uh, and 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 very emotionally <laughs> about uh, that lack of broadband was actually limiting what they could do. Uh, and so, in talking about a project, they were big proponents. Interestingly, talking about monetization, uh, depending on how serious that is. Um, there are uh, a piece of some of the pro- the projects that we put together is having current businesses kick in some money to help them make them happen, and that can be uh-huh. that big a deal. Yeah, it, it, okay. Because yeah. there are indeed programs where they have looked to the business community to either buy services in advance or to become investors and in mm-hmm. essence owning a, maybe in a co-op or a non-profit type of uh, organizational structure, but getting buy-in literally from the, from the from the business community. Well, and to the degree to which folks are willing to talk about that will tell you how high the priority is among among existing businesses about ah, uh, how right. bad it is. Because if it's that bad, and we can talk about, hey, would you uh, be an upfront investor, or, or would you go ahead and sign a commitment to uh, X amount per month? Uh, uh, it when the broadband is bad, and when those businesses need it. I have seen them write a check on the spot. Well, that'll tell you something. That indeed will. That indeed will. What about revising depressed business districts? I think this would be a big fact. Assuming this would be a big factor, particularly in urban areas where you have, you know, blighted neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. So, could you use, uh, you know, how would they view mm. this, uh, this outcome? Yeah, that's a great, great question. You know, where I deal with this most, um, is, that topic is. Uh, and by the way, this can be kind of controversial, so let's just put that out there at the That's beginning. All right, just lay it on um, out yeah. there. Lay it on out there. Um, when when there's a blighted district and they don't have good broadband, uh, that's typically because it's blighted, and typically because the current providers have said it's blighted. We're not going to get any return on investment there. Therefore, we're not going to we're not going to put any investment in there. We're mm-hmm. not going to put any fiber there. 
because we don't see how we're going to get the return. I have city officials, and here's where we get, get controversial. I have city officials a lot of times say, boy, should we be in this business? Should we be in the business of having a, a telecommunications utility? And, uh, you know, that's d different on every situation. That's different in every area, depending on what's happening. But if there's a blighted area and they, they, they have terrible broadband, and that's one of the reasons why it's blighted, in my opinion, an opinion here. That's right. No, no, in, no. Bring it on. That's why we're here. In my opinion, <laughs> that's one. Of, that's one of the areas where the public sector can step up to the plate and say, if we invest in this, we can help revitalize that area. Mm -hmm. And if the private sector won't, because it's blighted, um, then maybe that's a good opportunity for the public sector to say, if we do this, and then we leverage it right. Again, mm -hmm. if we don't need to go put it there. We need to go put it there and leverage it. Right, right. Um, then we can help turn that area around. Mm -hmm. Now, a similar, but there's. A, Defined distinction. There's blighted business areas, but they're just also just blighted uh, communities. You know, mm -hmm. mostly mm -hmm. residential. There is no business. Mm -hmm. Can broadband play a factor, or have uh, you know, can that outcome be envisioned in that scenario as well? It can. Uh, it can. There's um, uh, and and again, that, that takes us back to the you know our topic at hand, and and that is, you know, if if. Uh, civic leaders can look at an area and say this is whether it be uh, the residential or business or both, um, but it's blighted and uh, and there's problems and you know can uh, can broadband and can us do it with with a broadband uh, investment can we help turn that area around? Um, it 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 really can because. But, but again, the, the, the component of leverage, the component of how can we, you know, we're not going to go in and just throw money at broadband. We're going to go in with a plan of we're going to invest X dollars in broadband. We're going to do these certain things like a business incubator, like mm -hmm. a uh, uh, like uh, a startup uh, weekend or, or, you know, a 24-hour weekend startup, mm -hmm. you know, where we actually focus on, hey, we've got this broadband, and now we're going to try to have business startups, and we're going to bring in – mentors and uh, capital people and, you know, money folks and have people pitch ideas and they're going to use that broadband. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, there, there's there's ways to do that. But again, it's got to have a plan of what will our investment be and how will we uh, leverage that. Um, but, but both for uh, – you know, take the Appalachia study. One of the things they found out – and just talking about the residential side. Mm -hmm. I'm talking more about business, but – the residential side, one of the things that uh, that study pointed out was that folks who were in that area or in areas that had bad broad didn't have good broadband um, felt disconnected. They mm -hmm. felt like uh, they didn't have access to what everybody else had access to, even to the point of the local officials didn't even have access to being able to find out what grants were available and, and submit the grants because they didn't have good enough broadband. Ah, uh, yeah. But you take all those kinds of pieces and can broadband, if thought through and used correctly, can it change even the residential side? I think those are all great examples of the answers, yes. Mm -hmm. So with good planning and coordination and so yep. forth. Yep. Now, the the last two, number five on the list of economic outcomes is improving individuals' ability to earn income, which I don't know if, you know, beyond saying that broadband is good so people can go find a job, I don't know how much really national discussion there is on this topic, but, you know, is this an outcome that may 
uh, draw into it, well, will people be interested in, in supporting it, which is, you know, how do we make individuals more financially stat? In other words, raise up their, their status mm-hmm. as, as individuals as opposed to looking at the business impact. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, a couple examples, I mean, um, or a couple things to think about. Uh, uh, Perry County, Tennessee is an interesting example where um, there was uh, economic problems. I mean, these are, so this is individual, uh, the, the salaries were low, there was high unemployment, um, and they did kind of an incubator type of thing. And again, this kind of ties to business, but mm-hmm. they did an incubator type of thing, except they did what they called a virtual factory, where they actually took, uh, they, they partnered with local, some local industry or industries that were fairly local. And did a um, training, did training work uh, from a job center based on their broadband mm-hmm. that had to do with training people uh, how to get, uh, how to be able to work in those particular factories. And they secured positions in those individual factories. But without the broadband, those folks couldn't have had that training. Uh, with um, uh, so whether it be education, whether it be health, whether it be you know business. Um, uh, the, broad, the broadband can matter. Let me give you another example that uh, was kind of stark to me. Working with in a in a city, and was talking to the local hospital, and the local hospital had gotten a grant to do some telehealth, um, basically mainly geared towards letting the seniors stay in their houses longer. Mm-hmm. And uh, so they got this grant, and when I was talking with them, they said, "But well, we have a huge problem." And I said, oh, what's, what's the problem? And they said, well, we have a grant to develop it on our side, but the broadband in the in the county is so bad that we can't connect to the people. Oh, wow. So we're actually going to lose our grant because because all of everything we're going to develop won't can't is is more than could be received by the computers and the folks at their houses on the receiving on end. the receiving end. Okay. If we had a broadband, so they were they were proponents of doing a countywide fiber project because they said if 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 we could do a countywide fiber project, then we can actually do this telemedicine stuff that we already have a grant for. Mm-hmm. If we don't, we're going to lose it. You know. I, I can see yeah. what that happened. I mean, because I I had on the show, uh, I had on the show a week or so ago, um, the president of the uh, California Telehealth Network, which is a massive project trying to tie together all the various hospitals and clinics, particularly in rural areas, so that people could get better health care by being able, by their medical providers being linked to various resources, both locally and uh, nationally, I mean, even conceivably internationally. And, you know, the question eventually came to, but yes, this is good, but then what about the connection to the home? Because that, in essence, completes the loop. Mm-hmm. If you will, I mean, otherwise, yes, I can go to my clinic, but I still have to travel. I still have the issue of, um, you know, can I stay home and do at least some level of preventative health care, uh, you know, uh, chronic uh, illness maintenance kind of things. But, you know, that question, and he agreed that, you know, that there needs to be attention paid to the connection to the individual because that has to be looped in. To the healthcare network that you're trying to build. Yeah, exactly. And and you know when we're talking about individuals there, I mean we're talking about households and, and the impacts they have. You know those are all impacts that 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 again in developing projects that we need to think through and have a plan for. I think your question was kind of geared specifically towards you know incomes or wages and that sort of thing for individuals. Mm-hmm. Um, you know 
and, and again, I kind of talk about studies and then real life examples, and that you know, a real one real life example is, and by the way, these are hard to measure, mm -hmm. and then that's kind of what the challenge is right. that it's hard to get a measurement on how does this help people's incomes raise, uh, because you know it's hard to say we've. Uh, like if wages go up in a given area, well, is that because we were in an economic boom for the country, or are we mm -hmm. in an economic boom for that area, or is it because the broadband really does have an impact? Well, those are all challenging things. But just to give you one real life example, real quick. Mm -hmm. um, I can do what I do because I have broadband at home. Right. And if I didn't have the broadband speeds that I have at home, um, I wouldn't be able to do what I do. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't be able to live where I live. So. Uh, you know my wages, my income. Uh, I would not be where I am in this, in the house that I'm in, in the community I'm in, if we didn't have decent broadband. Because I, I'm a I'm a national business development director. I'm, I work all over the nation. Um, if I didn't have the ability to do what I do at home, then I wouldn't be where I am. Mm -hmm. And you know, so just in in you know, when I when I talk to civic leaders and we talk about how important it is to have individuals, you know, individual incomes. And what the people, what incomes those folks can have, uh, and, and how broadband will impact that. I'm still kind of shaky on having real good, solid answers because it's such. There, there's so many dynamics of why that could be, but you know, in pointing out the advantages of, of economic development for people, or the, I'm sorry, the, the advantages of broadband for people being able to be in their homes, what that can bring to their homes, but then also, you know. I've, Point out myself as a real example. Mm -hmm. um, I live in the community I'm in because there's a kind of broadband speed. Right, and I think that some of the more progressive communities, uh, even if they only have two or three thousand people, look at the telecommuter. They look at the person who may want to, you know, ski in the winter, fish in the summer. You know, looking for a lifestyle change, but still wanting to keep, you know, the their their connection, especially business connections. Um, need the broadband, but as one one community, I think it was um, Three Lakes, Wisconsin. Uh, they they looked, they they said, okay, well, we did a study and figured out that if we got someone, an executive, say, who makes a hundred thousand a year, right? If we get that person to either vacation, stay here longer on vacations, or in or set up a satellite operation, if you will, in the community. Some portion of that hundred thousand dollars is going to be spent locally, and then for every dollar that's spent locally, it gets circulated. I don't know what is it, three or four times. But I mean, their 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 analysis of the the economic value was that every every six figure employee, staff, manager, whatever represents an economic boost to our community. Mm -hmm. Was how they looked at it. Yeah, I, and that's. You know, and again, as we're talking about studies and, and you know how to document this stuff, I mean, I, your work is, is helpful because when you when you can get um, uh, through survey work, when you can get uh, percents of folks that say this is important and this is this is why it's important, mm -hmm. that helps the rest of us because that's a hard one to nail down. Mm -hmm. um, uh, that that example of, of the city of Wisconsin, that's a good example because uh, the the cities I work with. Uh, they almost every 
pretty consistently, they know of some people that would live there if they had better speeds. Right, right. Uh, folks that had moved on, folks that uh, own companies that put them, like one put it in a big town that was close, and, and they, they actually had the discussion, and there was a move that those people moved to that bigger city, and they, they knew why. It's because they couldn't get you – know, so I think most people know examples of why that's important. Mm-hmm. Um, nailing that down uh, uh, is is – the way the folks in Wisconsin thought of it, those are good, helpful ways to think of it because that's a that's a tough one to nail down. And again, your survey work helps us too. Mm-hmm. So then, the last point, the last outcome uh, on the, on the survey was um, the uh, impact on home-based businesses. Mm-hmm. So, which again is not something that is talked about a lot. Yet, I think anecdotally, there's lots of stories floating around. And then the survey report will actually tell you what percentage of people think that broadband has a direct impact on this. But from your perspective and, you know, the folks that you've talked to, do you hear much about home-based businesses and where does broadband have a role? I mean, is this an outcome that fits on the chart? You know, um, with the answer is yes. The... uh, I, I hear a lot. I mean, that's I would say, you know, I, I deal with several cities every week and talking to them about some capacity, and almost all of them mention that. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, to give you an example, um, the uh, one, one of the things I work with a lot is um, business incubators, all right, which yeah. help to do home-based businesses and help to get home or you know smaller home-based businesses started. So here's a shocker, Craig. Um, the the Economic Development Administration, EDA, uh-huh. did a, a study about incubators. And I, I happen to be involved in several, several, several incubators. And the way that those are done makes a lot of difference. The, the, but, but, if, but the ones that are successful nationwide, when you look at the statistics of how many home-based businesses or how many small businesses those help create in given communities, it's uh-huh. staggering. And the statistic is 86% of those stay in that community. That are started in a in an incubator. So if you have an incubator and you mm, start businesses, mm-hmm. 86% stay in the stay in that community. But here's the shocker. So the, the EDA took all of these successful incubators and did this massive study of of you know this I don't know how many, but it was a bunch uh, of successful business incubators. And they surveyed the participants in all of those. So again, this is a large scale national study. And in that study, uh, they asked what are the most important functions that the incubator provided for them to be successful and to help you be successful. Mm-hmm. Well, obviously, and, and any of our listeners here, I mean, obviously, if you think what would the small business or, or home-based business, you know, somebody trying to get started, what would you say the number one issue is, the number one thing you want through that incubator? The answer is, of course, money. You know, you right, want you want right. access to capital, mm-hmm. right? Second would probably be management help, uh, accounting help, how do you set up the books and all that kind of stuff. Well, here's what the study provided. Here's what the study said. They said, so in their incubator study, they said the importance of services to client success from the survey, the number one was broadband, mm. high-speed internet. So, so they want the incubator because they want to have that access as well as having the collegial aspect and all the rest of it. but. The broadband is key. It, 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 that was the number one thing that had to had to be there. Um, so here's the, going back to your question about home-based businesses. You know, when when you look at home-based businesses, or you know, if if a lot of a lot of cities are thinking about doing incubators right now, and that mm-hmm. that's a big issue, and they should. I mean, it, it's also 
the success that those can generate is amazing with home-based businesses, small businesses. Um, the thing for our listeners to, to keep in mind is, is that when the successful ones and, and the successful graduates of the, of the incubators, when they were when they were surveyed, the question was, what do you what did you need the most? And the number one answer was broadband. So we are getting to that point now where it is starting to become documented the need, the demand, the interest. So even if you can't gauge a dollar amount per se, at least now there there are some roadmaps that are saying this number of people are saying this is important. This number of people are saying that we will stay because of this or we will join uh, because of this. And uh, that, I guess, would then dovetail with a story I wrote about involving Santa Monica where they had a high vacancy rate. And they were trying to figure out, well, how do we get more people to um, to fill these commercial buildings? And so they said, okay, we'll get get the building owners to put in broadband. Well, the building owners didn't want to do the broadband. I mean, it was like more money, yada, yada, yada. You can't show us that this is going to make any sense. And they said, okay, we'll give you an incentive. They didn't give them a tax break. They gave them a different kind of incentive. You know, we'll give you an incentive to try and see what happens. And they're like, oh, okay, yeah, the building got X percent of vacancy, so, well, what the hell? We may as well look at this. And then once they announced, not even built, but once they announced that they were putting fiber in those commercial buildings, they basically had them filled before the, the, the broadband was even installed. Wow. Right? It, was just, wow. it just went from, like, 20%, 30% vacancy to just boom. Is that going to be the norm for the future, do you think? You know, so a couple, couple quick thoughts about that. One is... Um, again, those things are so hard to get studies on. Um, right. So, 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 Craig, just a kind of one little side note, and then I'll kind of talk about what you, what you said. Um, one, so, so there's kind of there's studies that are academic studies, like the Appalachia study mm-hmm. was an academic study. Those take time. Uh, all this right now is, is happening just over the last couple of years, and so you know it's going to be a little while before we get a lot of those studies coming in. Uh, those will all help us because there. I, all of them so far are showing really positive things. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so you know, the more of those we have, I think the, the better we'll be able to. I think to be able, the better we'll be able to, to be able to document what we're doing. So that's, so that's a, a, a powerful thing. Um, that that's important. You know, those studies are coming. But I will say too that that like your survey work uh, is, is also particularly helpful because you know that's kind of not only is it important on its own but it's also bridging the gap while we're getting these other studies in. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so I, that's those kind of things are coming. Uh, but uh, and then combined with like your survey work and, and the stuff you do uh, is kind of helping us to see um, okay here's here's what's happening and here's uh, here's how those things can be measured and the impacts. One of the just making a direct comment to what you'd said, you know one thing that's hard in our in, in studies is that you really can't prove the negative right so so like uh, I have a lot of folks say, well, what happens if we don't do this? Well, getting a, a proving the negative, proving what'll happen if you don't really is is almost virtually impossible. Having said that, I think there's some things we need to think about there though, and that is if if there's buildings that don't have broadband and it's showing that that uh in things like what you found and wrote about in Santa Monica um and if it if there's a 
if we can look and say, okay, what happens if we don't do this? Or, or in a blighted area, if they don't have broadband, what if we don't do that? Um, or even if there's one community and there's other communities around, if, the, if that community doesn't have broadband and the one around do, are the home values going to go down in that one that doesn't? Well, you can't prove the negative, right, right, but, right. but those are all things that, that I think we need to really make sure at least we think through mm-hmm. um, because, you know, like those buildings without and the owner saying, I don't know if I want to put that investment in it. Well, what if you don't? Right. You can't prove the negative, but you need to think through the what if you don't. Right, right, right. Exactly. So we've got about uh, 10 minutes or so to go before our next guest. Let's talk about getting from here to there. Um, Maybe in priority order, what are the top three or four things that um, a community, both the economic development folks and whomever else, what are the top three or four things they need to do to move the broadband project toward having uh, a, a positive economic development outcome? Great question. Great question. I would say that the first is having a good feasibility study. Right. Um, you you got to know what assets you have. You got to know um, what, where, where it's lacking. Uh, you got to know who the players are. Um, uh, and, and so the first is having a true feasibility study that says, here's where we are actually. Mm-hmm. An honest evaluation, here's where we are. Right. Um, second uh, is a disc, a, a, maybe I mean this is in the this is high up in the party. I don't know if it's really second, but but high up in the in the list is also having a discussion with those partners about where uh, where things are headed and how it's going to be monetized. Mm-hmm. Um, but the third, I don't know, this may be second actually. Now that I think about it, but but also having a group that has the say that that has authority, um, but that's that's going to really decide what outcomes are we looking for. Okay. Uh, the, the, a focus group. Uh, a, a focus group or a focused group? Focused. Not focused. Focused. Okay. focused. Yeah. <laughs> a, group, a group that has the authority, but that's really going to work on what are we really going to try to achieve here. Right, right, right. Okay. Um, not, just the, not just opinions, but a group that has the authority uh, to, to move the project forward. But that needs to have the political leaders that needs to have the economic development leaders um, that needs to have the folks who are going to bring the technical advice and you know and, and bring the uh, the the specifics of mm-hmm. what can happen. Um, but you know, if having a group that says here's why we're going to do this and here's the plan and the strategy we're going to use and here's the outcomes we're going to measure it by, and we're going to define those before we start. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I guess I'm moving that up to second. Okay. <laughs> that's a, that, that, that piece, you know, I see a lot of you know, groups that say, yeah, we should do this, but really a planning strategy group of how are we uh, of moving the project forward and then, and then how we're going to leverage it mm-hmm. um, is, is, I think, just a, a key piece. And I would say I think that's that, that planning strategy as far as leverage is where we, uh, I think that's where we're, uh, one place where we, in the industry we need to do better. Mm-hmm. Now, in that in that realm or in that thought process, uh, several what was it? Several weeks ago, I had several people from uh, the American Planning Association, mm-hmm. and we talked about city planners because in all this time I've been doing this, you know, it's been very focused on the economic development people. But they said, no, well, you know, there is a discipline called city regional planners. 
and they tend to be separate from economic development, which is probably why you know they get lost in the shuffle because everyone knows economic development agencies. They may not necessarily know the city planning side of things. And they said, you know, there's a lot of there's a lack of communication often between the two parties, and that in this discussion of broadband, they really need to be brought together. So, number one, in your um, travels, you know, is there a distinct group of city planners, and do you see those engaged as much as you see economic development agency folks? Mm, that's a great question. Um, I would say in the smaller cities, the answer is probably not. Those okay. folks, uh, you know, they, they probably aren't around or as in, or, or they're probably not there. I mean, they're, they're okay. going to but in the medium size to larger cities, um, I would say absolutely. I would say that, uh, that, that having, that those folks are there. And by the way, you bring up another, one other kind of quick little important topic. Um, but, but, I, but just to answer your question on that, uh, I think those folks, uh, the, the planners and how it's going to be planned, I think that would, I think they would be a great asset. And mm -hmm. yes, I do think there's a disconnect there. I don't see those folks involved very often, as a mm -hmm. matter of fact. Um, one other thing, just a quick side note that you kind of thought of there. Um, one other thing that I would encourage, particularly uh, municipal folks, to think through is it's also a good idea to think regionally. Ah, yeah. yes, right, yeah. right, right. Because there's I, certain. Well, no, go ahead. Yeah, well, and that's just, you just made me think of that because it's something, talking about the regional planners and all that. Um, there, it's, it's very common that there are different projects happening around specific areas where everybody's kind of caught the bug mm -hmm. of this is something we need to do. Thinking regionally, the savings is just an equipment that you can have or how you're going to connect and get back to the, the hubs that you need to get to. Um, all that regional thinking uh, is, is, can be, the synergy there can be very powerful. And that was just a discussion of just the mechanics. Boy, then you start thinking of the regional planners, the regional economic development people, the regional mm -hmm. economic, you know, start thinking of those. Uh, and that can be very powerful. And I would encourage anybody looking at a project uh, that, that think regionally, you know, at least contact the regional folks because um, that can, the benefits there can be huge. Mm -hmm. Not always, but they can be. So in that, in that thought, which is, you know, a good, positive one there is a an assumption of um you know a greater good because you have basically got a certain matter of um oh i don't know uh, appropriateness of scale you know you get the value of the scaling ability and um but with different jurisdictions you know different city jurisdictions or county jurisdictions there's that ugly beast called politics so is there a price to pay in the political management of such a beast if you have people, especially if they're on different wavelengths, uh, that is offset by the economy of scale of having those those groups come together in a regional effort? Well, that's a great question, and and it's it's very astute question. the 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 short answer is yes. Um, if if you know, if you start looking at where's the head end going to be, which uh -huh. is a, a technical term, but if you start looking at what equipment needs to be, um, uh, how it'll all be put together, how you get back to the hubs, all that kind of thing, if you start looking at all those pieces, uh -huh. um, the the dollar savings can be millions. I mean, it can be the, by doing it as a regional project yeah. versus individual projects. Yes. Yeah. Uh -huh. All right. What the way that that typically kind of has to work though. Um, 
and this gets to the, the thornier side of your question, how that typically needs to work is that there typically needs to be kind of a, a regional group, a regional committee that uh, will be the moving it forward, decision-making, but then take it back to their communities kind mm -hmm. of thing. So those boards can end up being fairly good-sized, which, again, politically is is interesting. Mm -hmm. um, but, uh, and, and so there's a lot of work to do there. And, and plus then deciding who's going to end up owning the assets and how's that. I mean, that's all negotiable. It's all different on every group. Uh, but, but there's help for that. Mm -hmm. I mean, we work with those things, and we can help sort those things out. Um, and it can be tricky. It can be thorny. And then there's always the question of competition. I mean, if, if, if you have a regional thing and there's, there's, if you're a regional group and then a business wants to come in, where are they going to locate? Mm -hmm. You know, thinking through how you'll do that so that you, you, those are all things that have to be thought through. Right. But, but the savings can be millions. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's, it's worth at least looking at. So what's the main either carrot or stick that you use? You know, I hear about these 30 and 40 town township projects. What's the main carrot? What's the main stick, if you will, mm -hmm. if you want to try to herd those cats along? Yeah, and that's a, <laughs> that's, 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 a, that's right. Um, you know, the the main carrot is the money. I mean, the savings of the money, um, and 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 that's that's for real. I mean, that that's those dollars. Uh, you can save those kind of dollars. Um, and then when you start looking at an architecture for regional architecture and how that's put together, uh, the, the dollars really can matter. Mm -hmm. um, so, so that's the big carrot. The um, and you know if a region I don't want to get off track here, but but mm -hmm. if there's a region that actually has regional uh, things that that matter, you know, like if it's like a, like a regional region, interest, a regional interest, or okay. regional like or, or even. Um, a regional tourism type of thing, mm -hmm. or a regional electric system that that that's, you know co-ops and, and cities that all buy from the same cooperative. You know, there, there's certain regional things, but tourism, regional tourism is a big one. Uh, mm -hmm. if, if there's something about a particular region that, that attracts people to it, um, but but there's several regional things that if you say, okay, look, we're a region anyway, we interact anyway, we we matter to each other anyway, why not have a regional broadband plan? Uh, that, that can help move us all along together since mm -hmm. we have to work on these mm -hmm. other things. That's where the carrot gets really pretty good. That's where the – in the stick of really you don't want to be involved. I mean this is – you have regional <laughs> issues here, but you're not going to be involved. You know, why not? Guilt them, why not? Please. <laughs> yeah. You know. yeah. yeah. So <laughs> when done artfully, that'll work. Yeah. yeah. So so that's kind of how we approach it. Mm -hmm. You know. So in our last minute here, we're just about ready to queue up our, our next guest, but any parting thoughts, summation points? You know, you, this is now your second hour of talking economic development and broadband. What's your what's your punctuation mark here to yeah. close off your day? My, my punctuation mark is um, two two very quick things. One is uh, if uh, contact Craig if you have any uh, studies or uh, if you know of any specific examples of hey this is somewhere where broadband has has had a positive impact. Um, let us know because getting that word out is important. So that would be one thing. Uh, the other is is plan to leverage. If you, if you have a project mm -hmm. or you're going to do a project, make a good solid plan to leverage it because you're gonna, it's gonna, it's an expensive asset that can pay off well. Mm -hmm. We just have to plan and strategize for that. Great. 
Well, this has been extremely informative. I appreciate all of your feedback. Um, you know, it's good to meet folks who, who understand the economic issues because there are many and there are mul multiple, you know, avenues and, and all the rest of it. But I think that today we've had a good discussion to point people in some really uh, positive directions. And good luck to you and your uh, your company. Uh, definitely, you want to share some information and studies and all that with us, you know, the, the, the audience that tunes into the show. By all means, send those by and I'll, I'll get those out. Absolutely. All righty. Well, thank you Thanks, very Greg. much. Yep. All right. We're going to take a 10, 15 second pause here. So we're not going away. Don't you go away. Moving into the next hour of our show, we're going to talk about one of my favorite subjects. Those people who follow my writings will know that you know I talk about Chattanooga, I talk about Kansas City, but I also always try to put in a good word for Lafayette, Louisiana. Uh, they have been on my radar for as long as I've actually been in, in this uh, area. I, am, I gravitate to them because... They are successful with what they do, which is run a very effective community uh, broadband network, but they've also had to run it under extreme duress, and that's probably a polite word for it, given what has gone on. And some, again, you folks may have read and followed this in the news, but they still persevere, they still move forward, and I think there are lessons to be learned, both in how do we do, uh, you know, how do we build a good infrastructure? How do we uh, get the buy-in from the community? Because you can't just be the hometown team and win. You have to offer the community something. And then also, how do you survive against that adversity, whether it's political adversity or marketing adversity? There's always someone trying to figure out how to eat your lunch. So uh, with me today to help, uh, to help move this discussion along and talk about what's new in Lafayette, I have with, with us uh, Frank Ledoy who is the Engineering, Power, and Communications Manager for Lafayette Utility System. Frank, welcome to the show. Thank you, Craig. All Appreciate right. the opportunity to be here with you. I am just so happy to have you on board. You cannot know. So I hear that uh, Terry um, is, is big in the Zydeco music realm. I won't ask you to either sing or play any Zydeco. I don't know if you can, but that, that's always amused me about, you know, Terry's thing, as we've talked about broadband, was the whole you know, Zydeco and the, sort of the whole culture there in, in Lafayette, Louisiana. Right. And so right. you guys bring a lot to the discussion, not just technology. So. Well, let's see. Uh, you know, Terry's participation in the music industry is he's more focused on Cajun, but there's some Zydeco mixed in there. Okay. But, I... <laughs> but, but when, you, when you attend a, a Lafayette, Louisiana function, mm -hmm. you're going to get the Zydeco, you're going to get the Cajun, and you're going to get a country. You're going to get a little mix of everything. You're it's get some good. Food. <laughs> really good food in Lafayette. We, we, we're noted for that. So it's it's a great place to live. The culture is great. I love it. Uh, you just uh, it's always some activity, some festival to participate in, some music event, or some food event. Excellent. Every weekend. So. One day I'm going to have to come down there and broadcast as well as talk to you guys in person about. Uh, we'll take care what's of you. We'll have a good time. Excellent. Excellent. So let's let's jump in. Let's talk about. Um, let's talk about the origin a little bit. I think a number of my uh, of the audience here for the show are familiar, at least in general, with the Lafayette uh, project. But 
let's start with, you know, what got it going and how did you get over the first hurdles? Because there weren't a whole lot of people doing what you did back when you guys started. So what got you going? Well, I'll give you a little history, Craig, for you and, and the listeners. We uh, Lafayette Utility System is the largest municipal electric utility in the state of Louisiana. We also operate mm-hmm. a water waste water system. Uh, we had, uh, I guess it was in 1998, at the time, we had an old uh, analog microwave system that we used for communications mm-hmm. for utility purposes, to communicate back different data on our electric system. It was antiquated. It was we couldn't. Uh, it was unreliable. We couldn't maintain it any longer. So we had a study conducted to determine where do we go to next for communication needs for our utility system. Mm-hmm. Uh, looked at various options, and the one that came out on top was a fiber uh, system for communications. Well, we looked at what it cost us to build a fiber system for our utility needs, uh, and then we looked at the incremental cost to add some additional fiber in that cable. Mm-hmm. And it was relatively inexpensive to increase the capacity of the fiber. Yeah, we didn't have an idea of what we wanted to do, mm-hmm. but we knew that this probably this would be a good investment, even though we didn't have it tied down as to what the application might be. So we built the system out. Okay. Uh, we had the additional fiber. We had some... Uh, uh, meetings with our, our elected officials and some of the community leaders, uh, and we we looked at uh, you know the, the entire spectrum from a a, a wholesale provider, mm-hmm. a seller for, for resale, mm-hmm. and then a full blown retail. At the time, uh, what what came down was that that option of being a wholesaler looked like the politically acceptable ah, and, okay. uh, right. and financially acceptable. So we opted to go into that wholesale market, and we ended up with about 14 wholesalers that we sold to. And we would sell internet service to those <clears throat> those customers who would, uh, and also just bandwidth, just pipe. Mm-hmm. Uh, and those those customers would either resell it directly to their their customers as is, or they would package it with other services, network services, et cetera. Okay. We really didn't, you know, if we sold it to them, they it was theirs, and they did with it as, as they pleased. So. They were pro- that was a pretty successful business, uh, and it gave us an opportunity. It was not speculative in nature. The build-outs were done basically when we had a contract. Mm-hmm. If we had a wholesale and we, you know, we got a contract, a commitment for service at a specific location, we would build out mm-hmm. and, and serve that customer, so it was not speculative. But I think, you know, the, the community g- gained some uh, some faith in our ability to operate a system and be successful. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, actually, uh, it was attendance at a fiber to the home conference years ago in New Orleans, Louisiana. Uh-huh. Myself and a few other folks went to. Uh-huh. And we heard the folks from uh, Bristol. Bristol, Virginia right, right. Speak. And uh, we were just, you know, amazed at uh, what these guys were doing. And uh, we're pretty prog- we have a very progressive utility in Lafayette. We participate uh, in many activities on a national basis. And once we had... Uh, you know, this knowledge of what these folks were doing and how successful they were. We we ended up taking it back internally, had a lot of discussion. Um, and uh, I guess it was in 2004, if I'm correct, 2003, four that mm-hmm. we had a new administration, excuse me, a new administration come into office and our director of utilities, Terry Hubal, approached mm-hmm. the administration to have some discussion about what the information we had found, what the, the potential opportunities were, and uh, the administration was agreeable to consider this this project even further. We engaged uh, some you know community leaders 
mm-hmm. uh, business leaders in the community to, to look at this uh, with us. We uh, we we uh, you know considered the incumbents that were there. There was discussion with incumbents for them to build out systems of this nature that would have this type of capacity. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the incumbents were were not willing to do it. So uh, as a yes. result, okay. you know, mm-hmm. the community leaders, the administration decided, well, this is something we want for this community. And it's more than just another provider of, of, of video service, mm-hmm. and telephone, and Internet. We want to be able to control the destiny of our community. We want to use it for an economic development tool mm-hmm. if we so desire. Uh, we want to just improve the quality of life for our citizens. We want to have a, a tool there that we can enhance our educational system, medical systems, uh, business systems, just you know, just, just spread across the community. And... Um, we of course we, we were moving forward with the project. We got the approvals from our city council to move ahead. Mm-hmm. We proceeded. We encountered multiple lawsuits uh, from folks that I'm um, not at liberty to Those discuss. The painful early days. I yes, know, sir. I know they were. And uh, you know, we uh, ultimately ended up getting a, a decision in our favor at the Louisiana Supreme Court in 2007. Right. Uh, we uh, we also had an election of the people prior to that that. Uh, the folks in Lafayette voted uh, 62 to 38 percent in favor of the project, so mm-hmm. we had significant local support. We got through the the uh, uh, Louisiana Supreme Court case successfully, and we issued the bonds, and then we we were on our road to building this project out. That's mm-hmm. that's kind of how we got started, Craig. So let's talk about. Um, you may notice I do I do I do a number of tasks simultaneously here to keep that show rolling along. Let's talk about um, a measure of success because in those early days there wasn't a lot of communities doing broadband, and the ones that were I think were fairly small. Like there was a Dell Georgia, and they were like a population five thousand, and their public utility had uh, done a network somewhere about the same time that you guys were doing yours. Bristol was probably maybe one of the more aggressive projects, but there still wasn't a lot of of uh, foundation work to draw on. What did you use to establish some sort of, I don't know, benchmark or measurement um, to, to, to drive or help move the process forward? Well, we took a uh, – we wanted to visit with some of these communities, uh, Dalton, mm-hmm. Georgia, Bristol, Virginia, um, uh, Jackson, Tennessee. Okay. Uh, and we, uh, we we took a bus trip. Great. Oh, cool. We, uh, we we rented a bus in Lafayette and we had them pick us up at the office at 4 a.m. in the morning. Excellent. There was a big group of folks from, from Lafayette that were involved in the project, and we just made a little tour around that part of the country and visited with the folks. <laughs> we we had a, list of, a whole list of questions to ask. Uh, they were, I can tell you, they were very accommodating, very helpful, and still are today. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we, we don't compete with each other. It's just you know, just a natural occurrence because we're geographically separated with municipals, so we end up actually cooperating and being somewhat of an informal cooperative. Mm-hmm. So that that's really uh, we we uh, you know that was uh, I guess our initial steps, and then we you know as uh, visiting with those folks, we ended up learning about some of the consultants they use, some of the contractors mm-hmm. they use. Yeah, and we did our due, due diligence to. Uh, to look at those particular contractors and consultants, and I guess uh, we also uh, engaged a consultant that uh, had worked with uh, uh, a few hundred uh, telecom uh, clients that they had, mm-hmm. 
and had specifically worked with some farmington home municipals. Okay. So we tried to get as close as we could to those folks that were in the business that looked like us, that were mm-hmm. municipal. They were more, they were smaller than us, but they uh, they were successful. They mm-hmm. had deployed their systems. They were operating uh, well. So that's kind of the, the road we took to try to get as much education as we could on the front end to, to launch the project. Okay. Now I can see where if you have your planning group doing these tours, they're getting the information firsthand. They're understanding well, you were understanding, you know, what uh, what to expect and, and what kinds of goals to establish. How did you get the public support? Because you were basically trying to teach a general public a lot of, com- well, about something that was very complex. Uh, and even though you had people that you identified that were doing it, it still wasn't as mainstream as, you know, other options that people might have first thought about. Correct. Well, Craig, one of the, I think one of the key uh, steps we took were we held com- community meetings uh-huh, at various those are uh, good. locations in the community. It was a recreation center, a school. Uh, Terry Huval, our director, and our our mayor Joy Durrell attended those things. So mm-hmm. they 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 lent a lot of credence to the effort, and we just basically laid out that we had a. Uh, feasibility study that was done by our consultant. We laid out the feasibility study. We talked about the services we provide. We would provide the time schedule, the rough idea of what the cost would be to our our, uh, consumers, what the benefits would be. And we just uh, told the story uh, many, many times, uh, as often as we we could Mm -hmm. to, to the community. Um, we, uh, you know, Terry and Joey did a great job of, of contacting the folks, uh, not only locally, the, the elected officials locally, but statewide, mm-hmm. because we needed to have support from the governor's office, state treasurer's office, the legislature. So, you know, t- Terry and Joey did a great job of uh, engaging those folks to, to, to talk about what we were doing. This was very foreign to those folks, and they were. Of course, incumbents were lobbying them <laughs> very heavily to prevent us from from uh, going into this business. Mm-hmm. But uh, they seemed to, uh, you know, embrace our project, our concept, and uh, we got their support, and we got the support of the community. Now, how do you, as a community, and this is sort of, you know, your, I want to shift you into the role as a peer a peer counselor. How do you advise other communities to translate? the knowledge and education process into both political support and then monetary support as subscribers. There has to be a sort of a, isn't there like a bridge you have to kind of cross it somewhere along the... Uh, yes, one, one thing about Lafayette is, uh, you know, being a municipal electric utility was a huge advantage. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a very strong system financially. It's a very reliable system. It's got great... Uh, customer satisfaction rates uh, mm-hmm. that we, we do surveys. So the folks there really had a lot of confidence in, in the ability of our organization to be successful. Mm-hmm. That uh, that meant a lot. Um, uh, I guess the... Um, um, Greg, I'm going to have to ask you to uh, repeat part of that question again. No, it was basically you, you, you do an education process, you get people to understand, and they support yeah. it. Now, at a certain point, you got to translate that into political support because you guys had a referendum of sorts. Right. And then you also ultimately have to convert that into paying okay. customers. Right. Well, I think that's, uh, you know, converting them to paying customers, it's uh, 
is where the rubber hits the road. Oh yeah, uh, you know you <laughs> you can get out and you can talk about this project and people can vote on it, but when it comes down to that individual decision uh, to buy from us versus and, and switch from an incumbent, uh, it's just a matter of a lot of it was uh, you know folks that just uh, supported the community. They could see that uh, from a financial standpoint, the, the the service provider they had at the time provided a particular service. There was a profit for that corporation, mm -hmm. and those dollars went out of the community. Right. But there was a lot of core folks that understood that Lafayette Utility System, you buy the services from them, not only do you get a comparable or, in, in, in case of Internet, a better product, mm -hmm. but those dollars that are generated are basically to pay for the capital costs and the O&M system, and the rest of the money is used to, within the community. Mm -hmm. It uh, it it's, uh, it we have not as of yet paid what's called a lower tax to our general fund. But the purpose of our of our, our organization is to provide that service that's it's comparable or better to the comp to the competition, but also generate some dollars that we send back to the general fund mm -hmm. that take care of uh, costs such as police, fire, parks and recreation, public works. So it helps keep their property taxes down, sales taxes down. So those folks, we had some early early adopters. Mm -hmm. uh, we recruited some of those folks, some some beta customers, and I think once we, you know, we're, a lot of it was word of mouth getting out slowly. Mm -hmm. We did a lot of advertising uh, in education to our 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 folks through uh, our customers through marketing. So I think uh, you know it's really uh, once they experienced the product, they were blown away by it, especially. Mm -hmm the internet mm -hmm. product. Those were the ones that were really excited about it because it was new, it was unique, it was speeds that they had never seen before. Mm -hmm. um, now, uh, you know, I had this interesting conversation actually on the plane flying over uh, last night when I was, uh, met someone, you know, was curious about this conference, and she asked the question, what do you do about obsolescence? And particularly, you know, when, when you guys were starting in 2003, a lot of the technology was new. I mean, whether you we were talking about Muni Wi-Fi, which is really what drew me in the business, or you were talking about fiber, a lot of the technology was fairly new. And I think a legitimate concern was, well, if you build this, what happens if you need to replace it? Or what happens if it becomes obsolete? How did you guys address the obsolescence issue then? So, let's say, in 2003... And how do you address the danger of obsolescence today? Well, we model that in our, our business plan. Okay. Every seven years for upgrades to the head-end equipment mm -hmm. uh, and some of the uh, outside plant equipment as well. Uh, so that's modeled in our business plan to, to take care of the cost of those upgrades to keep us current. Mm -hmm. And uh, it must be something magic about the number seven because when Philadelphia – which was the first big city to tackle municipal wireless, they wrote a contract for Earthlink, which basically said every seven years, you will basically turn over the equipment. You will basically make sure that we have upgraded everything. Is there some magic to seven or is that, I don't know. I mean, how did you come up with that? Greg, I'll be honest, our consultant that we hired to help okay. <laughs> these 300 some odd clients, Okay, that's the magic number he used. It seemed, interesting. Reason, it seemed reasonable to us. Based on you know our exposure to technology, uh, you know when you look at computers, uh, you know folks are replacing them every three to five years. In this seven-year uh, replacement cycle, when you look at the, the the speeds we're offering, I mean we're offering gigabit speeds to mm -hmm. businesses mm -hmm. 
today, 100 meg to uh, to the home. So, you know, we're very confident that we'll go at least seven years uh, before we need to upgrade. But uh, as we speak, we're in the process of upgrading uh, our uh, middleware mm-hmm. that we since we've launched. We're, that's going to have a lot more. Uh, uh, applications for the customer to uh, you know to enhance that customer experience to make things operate on the network more efficiently and mm-hmm. better utilize the resources we have. Interesting. Now, my sort of breaking this down for the layperson, the non-tech person, is that one of the values of fiber is that um, on a relative scale, it is easier to. Uh, upgrade a fiber network than the traditional copper wire networks because all you're doing is changing electronics at various points along the route of the fiber, if you will. That's correct. Okay, so that is a good way to explain it to folks to say, look, you know, this isn't as bad as you might think right. it is to make it a faster network. Well, you know, copper, the, the, the limitation of bandwidth of copper is due to the physical makeup of the copper itself mm-hmm. and some of the equipment, but on fiber, I'm not sure they actually have a physical limitation that someone's designed on the the, the, the fiber optic mm-hmm. cable itself. Right. Uh, it, right now, it's limited by the electronics, and we can easily change those out. And the, you know, the cost to to deploy overhead and underground fiber throughout a city is 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 significant, mm-hmm. and to not have to go back in. And um, and replace that, you know, just builds in longevity into the use of that outside plant for for many years to come. Mm-hmm. So we're very confident with uh, uh, the amount of fiber we have in, in the ground. And there's different technologies, you know, there's uh, 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 wave division multiplexing that can be used to mm-hmm. gain more bandwidth out of the the fiber itself, and continue to use a lot of the same equipment. So. We're, we're very comfortable that we're going to be mm-hmm. in good shape as far as uh, our, our network is concerned to meet the, the, the future needs of our community. Mm-hmm. So before we come to a political, political question, I'm going to ask a technology political question, which yeah. is um, fiber and wireless. Right? Some days I feel like these are the holy wars of our of our digital side of things because there are people who it's wireless or nothing. How can you, you know, bring all this expensive fiber in when wireless can do the job? And on the flip side, the fiber people are, you know, wireless is a toy. It's, you know, it's limited and so forth. Personally, I have tried to, you know, talk about the fact that these are integrated. You don't really need to look at it as one or the other. Now, you guys have been doing this for, if I'm doing the math right, something close to eight years nine years maybe, um, what's, does wireless have a role in your world and whether it does or not in the, in the in people that you've talked to, where do they see wireless going? Well, from our perspective, Craig, it, it, they complement each other. Okay. Um, I mean, there's, there's applications where you're going to want to have the fiber all the way to the home and there's applications where you want to have uh, the freedom that wireless Brings the mobility that wireless brings. Mm-hmm. So you know to to say you can uh, you can uh, you know operate under in a comparable with comparable bandwidth on a wireless system, a totally wireless system as you can with fiber. I, I don't think that's uh, I don't think that's correct. But we have you know ourselves we have deployed wireless uh, hotspots in our city and we connect it with our fiber. Mm-hmm. Uh, we we uh, connect uh, cell phone towers. 
powers, excuse me, with uh, with our fiber. So uh, we really see it as is complementary. We're all, we're looking at wireless for for different applications that might make sense for us. Mm-hmm. Um, so we don't see it as you know you choose one or the other. Right. I think you choose the one that fits in the you know that application that you want to use. And you know wireless is certainly becoming more and more predominant with the different uh, products available. All right. Um, so we see as ourselves positioned to provide those access points for wireless through our, our fiber connectivity. Mm-hmm. Now, do you use, uh, pre- with the exception of the hotspots, do you use predominantly fixed wireless or do you use Wi-Fi slash mesh? I'm not sure, you know. Uh, it's, just, it's just some Wi-Fi hotspots that we have right now that we're using for Today we're using it is for uh, our uh, city, I guess, uh, internal uh, utility needs mm-hmm. and city needs, where our folks can uh, can have a lineman out working on a, a project and he can pull over at a hotspot, get on his computer and start entering data on the, the work order he was working on. It's complete. Get orders from the you know the, the central office through his computer that uh, here's where your, your next uh, job is located. Here's what you need to do. So mm-hmm. that's the type of application we have today for, for our wireless. So in the last month, I think I've, we've had two guests that have talked about fixed wireless and the ability for fixed wireless to actually move uh, data at gigabit speeds. Um, I talked to a WISP in Kansas City and another WISP in Cleveland. And now, granted, there are limitations, but the to me, the marvelous thing was that wireless was able to deliver that much bandwidth, which, from my perspective, makes wireless even more versatile as a complementary tool, or in some cases, maybe the lead technology. First, you know, have you guys used fixed wireless, and where do you see the role of fixed wireless as more and more fiber networks come into play? Um, I think the wireless technology will continue to improve uh, and the, the, the bandwidth capability will continue to increase, but I think the applications and the, need, the bandwidth applications are going to need in the future going to continue, continue to increase as mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. So I think it's going to be a you know a point where you know wireless gets you to uh, a fairly good point to, uh, to 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 utilize for certain applications, but new ones will develop that require more mm-hmm. bandwidth, mm-hmm. and you'll be back to well, it's not enough. We need to go back to fiber and. I think it's going to be a you know a back and forth mm-hmm. sort of thing because I mean we've seen you know just in Lafayette since we put our fiber system in you know the usage of bandwidth uh, internet bandwidth from, within our city has has grown phenomenally mm-hmm. uh, because folks are finding more and more applications you know video is huge you know it takes huge huge amounts of bandwidth and they they're using more video applications as well as imaging for medical and uh, Geo, uh, geophysical in the oil industry. So, yeah, I, I think there's gonna we're gonna just see that back and forth kind of thing in the future. That's that's how we see it. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I should have asked my my new my new best plane buddy uh, to to call in because she actually had another interesting question, which was if you build a network today for whatever speeds that you build it on. How do you know what kinds of speeds you're going to need in five or ten years? And you know, do you build it fast now, faster now? In other words, how do you address the uncertainty of not knowing what applications are going to come out for the future 
with this whole issue of how fast do you make the network? Right. Well, I think for us, you know, we uh, we we were certain that the, the capacity we built in our system, based on what we saw and some projections on growth, and and uh, and we even went way beyond that. And mm-hmm. so we're we have an actual system with a certain capacity, and we're seeing the utilization rate of it today, mm-hmm. and we're seeing how fast it grows. Right. So we're watching that. I mean, that's what we do as utility providers. We do planning, mm-hmm. and we watch the rate of growth, the bandwidth consumption, and we, we, we make plans to increase capacity before it gets, you know, the system gets uh, overloaded, uh, and, and that's just a natural part of whether we're planning for, for electricity or or wastewater or water, that we're always planning, we're monitoring our system to look at growth project growth and then take steps to to meet that demand well before it's uh, it's upon us. Right. So it's an anticipation, but not an anticipation of something specific, but an anticipation of being ready for the unexpected? Well, I, you know, it, uh, it you generally have some, some time before <laughs> you can uh, you know, you see something that pops up that will just, you know, uh, consume the the excess capacity mm-hmm. you have in your system. So, and we got a lot of cushion in there. I mean, we're, we're well positioned. I mean, when I look at those numbers, uh, we, we have uh, you know, tremendous capacity still mm-hmm. left before we need to do anything. So we're watching the technology that, that's being created, the applications out there that are being developed, what our customers locally are doing, what kind of demand they're putting on our system to where we can react to, you know, in an appropriate time to, uh, to accommodate the growth. Mm-hmm. So... Which is how you address the fact that so in 2005 or 2006, there wasn't Facebook, there wasn't YouTube. No one, I don't think, could have imagined, you know, Beyonce releasing a, a song and then like 10 million people downloading a five-minute video, which is like right. a massive amount of data, you know. Well, but this a, is what we're dealing with today. From a business perspective, we encourage that. <laughs> we, we really do because the incremental cost for us to upgrade our system mm-hmm. to you know to, for, the, for the capacity need to meet that demand it's going to be much less than other providers that don't have that fiber system already uh you know uh that outside plant already in the ground or up in the air so we encourage it 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 makes our those kind of bandwidth demands make our business plan even better mm-hmm. and and you just basically adapt and perform as you go yes okay uh Let's get the the prickly question of politics out here because um, I contend that you may not a community may not have to go through as much uh, pain and aggravation as Lafayette and Wilson, North Carolina, which was on my show uh, last week. You know, not everyone necessarily has to go through that much legislative and and political madness. But I contend that everybody will have to deal with some level of politics, uh, either at the state level or the local level. Um, how do you how do you prepare? Well, actually, maybe the first question is: Were you guys prepared for the level of political and legal shenanigans that you had to put up with in the beginning? Well, I don't think we anticipated as much as we 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 received, Craig. But we certainly anticipated some. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was uh, certainly more intense than uh, than anyone could have imagined. But we, uh, I think we uh, we uh, we addressed it well. Once we we had a, a sense of the the level of uh, 
intensity that was going to be pressed upon us by these incumbents. Uh, we positioned, we learned quickly, mm-hmm. and we took appropriate steps. And you know, the main thing is getting out to the community as many to as many community events as you can, uh, developing relationships with your uh, state elected officials mm-hmm. as well. I mean, you need to go to the highest level in the state, which was you know the governor's office in Louisiana. We had support there that was tremendous for us. So, I think uh, you need to you know my recommendation would be. If there's a municipal out there that's considering this seriously, uh, you need to run those traps mm-hmm. right off the bat. I mean, okay. you, you need to you need to go to the state level right off the bat because if you don't, they will, and you need to anticipate they will, mm-hmm. uh, so that you can, uh, you know, you get the, the the first first stab at talking to the uh, the legislators uh, and other elected officials in, mm-hmm. in your state. That's, okay. that's critical. Uh-huh. But obviously, it is. Surmountable, you just I assume you just have Absolutely. to be. Absolutely. I mean, you know, you look at some of the, you know, in, in our case, we also had support from some of the major uh, business leaders in the community. Mm-hmm. Uh, those folks, those folks have a lot of, um, you know, political <laughs> influence as well. So, you know, when you we had the we had the whole, I guess we covered the whole gambit. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, in that election, you know, we we got support from the Republican Party and the Democratic Party. Mm-hmm. We, you know, when do you? Often do you see that? So that was, I think that's a tribute to the effort that our folks, uh, you know, particularly Terry and Joy, mm-hmm. you know, hitting the, the streets and, and hitting the uh, the political uh, officials in the state up with our story and what our people wanted and the fact that we held an election and this was something that the people voted for mm-hmm. was very, very strong. And for any elected official to, to I guess, to... to uh, Deny that project would have been, you know, some, some questions would have been needed to be answered mm-hmm. by that particular uh, politician. But, uh, you know, that's uh, that's my recommendation. So, as I've been following a lot of the uh, the uh, issues and the struggles, and I have said more than my fair share, probably of commentary about uh, the political craziness that, that community, communities have had to deal with. I feel that at the city or the county level, the political dynamics are not the same. I mean, I've seen communities where, um, you know, there isn't like, I don't know, a pro-business faction or an anti-business faction. Um, I haven't seen, you know, it's one party versus the other party. It seems that people cross those boundaries fairly well at, at community levels. I mean, is this Pollyanna or is no, that really a... I think you're absolutely right, Craig. I mean, in, in Lafayette, um, when you have this local government that's responsible for taking care of drainage, fixing potholes, getting the power back on, keeping water on, mm-hmm. keeping video services running and internet services, the, I mean, those are core services that the people demand those services be reliable, be provided at a reasonable cost. And it's it's uh, I don't see that that separation of, of uh, political parties take place at that local government level. Mm-hmm. They seem to work closer, uh, be more community community minded because it's about delivering services to the community mm-hmm. and not so much that you know those the, the the politics you see at the federal level or, or even the state level. I think as you get closer to the the community, there's less of that. You know, separation of political parties, and they're mm-hmm. more concentrated on let's you know let's fix that road in this 
Democratic, uh, you know, uh, elected officials district, and also let's go fix this, these other potholes in this Republican right. district. It's about we all drive the same streets, you know. There's right. those lines kind of go away for the most part. Right, and I think it's it's incumbent on people to look at things maybe a little differently at the local level, and maybe not create those kinds of boundaries just to begin with. I can tell you that's absolutely the case in Lafayette. Mm-hmm. So um, now another political issue is is right of way and the relationship between uh, the local government and how well it facilitates the building of these networks and the operation of these networks. I think Google has made the point that you know their interest is finding places where um, the local government structure, whether we're talking the utilities or we're talking the literally the elected officials, uh, is willing to not you know throw all caution to the wind, not throw all regulations to the wind, but there is a level of cooperation that they insist on, in essence, in Google's case. Should we as citizens try to address that issue or should the broadband project team address that issue early on, that relationship between government and government policy at the local level and how it interacts with the the private sector side that's going to be involved in bringing that network to fruition? Well, you know, being a, a municipal entity that deployed in Lafayette, um, we were subject to the same rules and regulations as the private provider. Mm-hmm. We really, uh, Lafayette's Public Works Department is the regulatory authority of the, the rights of way, mm-hmm. the road rights of way. We just, uh, and we had a, you know, you can imagine we built out the whole city in, uh, you know, two years, mm-hmm. 18 months we were launched. So we had a lot of permits uh, going yeah, into yeah. those guys, mm-hmm. and uh, they handled it quite well, I, I can say. Uh, and it kept up with the other uh, the other private uh, providers that will you know continue to build out their systems too. So uh, you know from from our standpoint, from the use of the rights away, you know it was it was it was well, I guess well staffed and well managed from those stand those guys' standpoint. And on, as far as uh, joint use on on poles, mm-hmm. well, LUS owns the electric system and they own the poles. So we were working with our our cousins, so to speak, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in uh, in, in get, we had to get a pole attachment agreement in place, just like the other incumbents did mm-hmm. in Lafayette. We had to have a franchise agreement in place. Um, you know, one thing that happened was we used uh, the type of fiber that we used was such that we could utilize the space on the pole more effectively. Mm-hmm. We could get closer to the high-powered electric line, so we had less make-ready costs. Uh, uh, right, uh, okay. And, uh, um, but as far as the uh, and we, you know Lafayette's had a number of private providers come in to request uh, use of uh, rights of way in, in our uh, in our wood pole structures, and I, I can't say I've, I've seen uh, you know any issues in our particular city. But I mean I would certainly uh, that that can be a, if if you don't have that cooperation, mm-hmm. that can be <coughs> excuse me a mm-hmm. tremendous hindrance. On deployment of your project and delay you, and in our case, time was critical because mm-hmm. you you borrowed money, uh, you yeah. borrowed enough mm-hmm. money to pay your capital and pay some of your operating costs until you had revenue coming in. So if you have anything that delays or disrupts that revenue stream coming in, 
it can be mm-hmm. you know, have a dramatic impact on the you know the financial viability of your project. Right. Okay. So let's talk about the very real issue of uh, marketing. Uh, be- no, no, that's okay. Because we have, um, you know, once you get past the the political turmoil, if you're going to have it, or you smoothly go past the political issues, if you don't have it, there still then becomes a very real issue of marketing because the incumbents do not go quietly into that good night. They will bring out all the marketing guns and all the stuff that they can possibly. Which is then it becomes like pure business. It becomes the basic, you know, rough and tumble of the business world. And as I said earlier, even though there are advantages to being the hometown team, you can't necessarily just say that you're the hometown team and expect to win. What do you do? How do you how do you compete in this space effectively? Uh, Craig, you're, you're absolutely right. Uh, being a hometown team is, it's, um, uh, it, it may give you some advantages, but the, the incumbents that are there, and especially in our situation, or, or major national competitors that have tremendous amount of financial and human resources that we simply do not have. So you you can see where uh, you know, when you talk about economies of scale. Mm-hmm. Uh, whether it's marketing or it's uh, you know development and deployment of new applications, the, the larger customer base you have to spread those costs on, the, the you know the, the more effective you, you can be at uh, at bringing uh, you know delivering the product. So um, for for us, uh, you know our marketing efforts, we we have comparatively speaking to other uh, private providers, we have a very meager marketing bucket mm-hmm. budget. Excuse me. Mm-hmm. Um, but we try to take advantage of every opportunity we have. Every time there's a, uh, you know, that there's an opportunity for the mayor to speak or other elected officials or, you know, Terry Huval, our director, to speak publicly. Mm-hmm. That's an advantage. That's a that's an opportunity to to, to make a point about your your fiber system. Mm-hmm. We, uh, you know, we're all local folks, so we try to attend as many. Local events as we can, uh, and we, you know, and, and you know, we'll wear our shirts, we'll wear our caps. <laughs> yeah, we'll talk about LUS fiber while we're there. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we go to church and school with these folks. Mm-hmm. So we'll attend ball games. We, you know, uh, fundraisers, uh, all all those types of things that uh, uh, you know we make it a point to be at and participate in. You know, all your different types of. Uh, Fundraising events, whether it's March of Dimes or you know, mm-hmm. uh, you know MS or diff- different types of uh, events, we take a lead in those things. We we get we have folks that participate at a high level mm-hmm. uh, in those those events to where they're, they're they're recognized and it's 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 a twofold thing. It's one because it's genuine uh, to, to want to participate in those events with our community, mm-hmm. but it also while we're there, we take the opportunity to to show the the other side that this is, you know, we're we're, we're a community uh, entity that uh, we can bring value to the community. So we, we try to to do those things. We have some some marketing things that you know really are pretty cost effective. One of our most effective tools we use is called Refer a Friend Program. Aha, uh-huh, there we you go. Know, you know, you've heard of that one, mm-hmm. right? Where mm-hmm. you know, you're, I'll, uh, I'm an LUS Fiber customer, and I have a friend that I say, hey, you know, I recommend LUS Fiber. He signs up for service. Well, if he he gives them my my customer account number, then I get a fifty dollar credit on my my bill, and he gets a fifty dollar 
uh, credit on his bill, and we, so we, and it, you know, it, it's it's a win-win mm-hmm. for those, and it's uh, you know, it's a kind of a relatively uh, inexpensive way to acquire a customer when you look at it from like a sales commission standpoint. Mm-hmm. Um, we have uh, you know affinity programs where we work with local schools and churches, but we may provide services to a school or church. And we'll do an affinity program with them. It's sort of like the refer a friend. Mm-hmm. Your members of your, uh, your 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 church constituency or your school, if they you, you, we're selling services to the the entity and their constituents sign up, we give a, a credit to the, the school or church and also to that that particular constituent. So those things have uh, have worked well for us. Mm-hmm. Um, we put together different promotional packages and try to target. Uh, different organ, uh, different segments of uh, our, 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 our customer base. Some may be a price point type, mm-hmm. you know, uh, promotion. Some may be a value value added type promotion, where for the same amount of money we give you additional services or mm-hmm. uh, enhanced services. Um, we'll uh, some packages are we'll put together sports type uh, promo mm-hmm. that's that's uh, you know targeted to, to sports enthusiasts. We'll have uh, you know maybe someone that uh, uh, folks that customers that want to do a lot of recording of, of videos and games etc. We'll run a DVR special that mm-hmm. that targets those folks and we try to to bring those things out every you know every couple of months or so we we run a different uh, promo package um, with our limited uh, marketing and advertising budget we we have to be real critical in the way we do this and we we develop a a st- we put together a strategic plan every year. Mm-hmm. It's well laid out. Uh, we, we set our goals, the target audiences that we want to hit that year. We decide on what a creative approach we want to use in that marketing effort, mm-hmm. what sort of marketing collateral, to use one of those marketing terms I've learned about. I'm an engineer. There you so, go. There you go. I see you, know, you got, a little, bit of the, uh, got a little bit of that yeah, uh, yeah. marketing talk going yeah. on there. Um, we determine what kind of media mix we want to present that message, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's TV, mm-hmm. radio, billboards, direct mail, emails. Uh, you know, we put together, you know, the, the entire plan. Um, we, um, we, we, we actively participate in uh, social media. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Facebook, Twitter. <laughs> that. We, are, we have folks that, you know, we have our own pages. Our mm-hmm. folks monitor it. Mm-hmm. We respond to our customers. We get them a lot of information through that media. So you know, we try to uh, to be real cost effective with the the, the few dollars we have, but uh, we we have been effective. So. No, obviously so, because you're still here. Yes, sir. <clears throat> you guys are still you know you guys are still making money, um, and which is always a good thing. Right now, um, do you do a lot of market intelligence? And what I mean by that is, I had, I had a guest on oh, one of these weeks. Where the person said, um, you have to know everything you can about your competitors because, in essence, it's the only way to survive. Right. You've got to know them as well as you know your own business. Right. Do you guys do that? Absolutely. There you go. Craig, uh, you know, our, our main competition, you know, is, is one particular incumbent in our city. And they, uh, I guess it's just about every day in every paper, there's some flyer that they're, they're advertising some promo, some right, package, right. something. So you know, we we see that uh, that all the time. Um, it uh, so we have we get a lot of information from that, uh, but we also look at uh, beyond our 
our local area. Mm-hmm. Uh, we look at other major providers. We talk to other municipals mm-hmm. on the type of uh, you know products and uh, that that they may be promoting and marketing. So we we try to to hit as 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 many information sources as we can on what the products are, mm-hmm. how they work, what's the price, uh, what's you know how effective has it you know has it been, what's the what's the the take rate of that particular product. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that that's critical to us, and you can ask uh, any of every time when a product is presented to me, I'm saying I want to I want to know all your, your your market information. Mm-hmm. Who did you talk to? With similar products. What are they selling for? You know, it's just you know for just all aspects of, uh, of when there's products or mm-hmm. deposit requirements or you know any aspect of our business. We like to know what's the competition doing right. and what are other folks across the country doing. Makes makes a lot of sense. The um, you know the the return obviously has been very good on uh, on on this area. Did you uh, as in Group LUS were you the ones that had an issue with um, one of the providers or getting one of the organizations that provides uh, video content or facilitate the access to video content? Because um, someone, I remember reading that someone had this issue where basically they felt they were being uh, encumbered from getting the best rates for video content. Right. Well, Lafayette, uh, in our uh, our financial uh, plan, our feasibility study, we had anticipated being able to gain membership into the National Cable TV Cooperative. Oh, that's the one. That's the yeah, okay, right. And uh, at the time when we launched and we were ready to to proceed to get into the organization to get those contracts in place, there was a moratorium, and you know some other things happened. So the, the bottom line was we did not get gain membership into the NCTC until late last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we were ultimately uh, accepted, and uh, it's been a you know since that's happened, it's been a, a great relationship with NCTC. Mm-hmm. We're seeing the benefits of. Uh, of joining them, there's better terms and conditions, better rates, uh, because they have the economies of scale as they grow. Right, exactly. Large, right. You know, mm-hmm. large, buying for large numbers of customers. So, you know, when we started, uh, Greg, we had to actually negotiate all those individual contracts ourselves. That must have drove people crazy. It was uh, made lawyers happy, but it probably drove people well, crazy. <laughs> it was, uh, we, we probably had 50 programming contracts that we had to, wow. to get in place. And you can imagine there's not that much. We didn't have very much negotiating leverage. Right. Uh, we, we'd call ESPN and say we'd like to buy ESPN, you know, programming from you guys. Mm-hmm. And they'd say, well, who are you and how many customers you got? And they We're like in Louisiana. We don't have any customers. <laughs> so that was a challenge. We're new in the woods. Yeah. Give us a break here. <laughs> but we were uh, successful in getting that. And we had most of our programming in place by the time we uh, we launched in uh, mm-hmm. February 2009. So it's a great tribute to our, our staff. You know, our, our people that, that did this work uh, mm-hmm. to get all these things done because we had, uh, uh, you know, uh, almost insurmountable number of tasks to get done mm-hmm. in a very short period of time. Now, the thing that this brings up to me is, and, and I may be biased because I don't watch a lot of TV and I don't think highly of a lot of TV, but I look at it as this almost an albatross. I mean, you've got data services. And it's clear to see a line between, you know, we offer this value, we make this money. If we sell the businesses in particular, 
We, you know, we have people tied into us because their business is now tied into that technology. On the voice side, you know, excuse me, the voice side, uh, you know, there, there's value there. You can understand how to sell the value. But TV, it seems like it's high cost, high anxiety. You know, you got people who will leave you for a dime's difference in promotion because it's TV. And, you know, I also often ask the question, well, isn't it more hassle than it's worth? Now, I know that you're fully into it, so you can't pull out of it. But just if you were to step back and look at it objectively, you know, is this, you know, is this a great deal or is it sort of a price of doing business rather than like a joy of doing business? Well, I, I can tell you, Craig, if we did not have the video services, I do not know if we would be successful. Uh, the percentage of folks that take uh, uh, triple play services from us is tremendous. Oh, wow. Okay. Oh, yeah, it's tremendous. Uh, folks really love, uh, you know, at least in our city, uh, video. They love, you know, football games and mm -hmm. movies and different type of programming content. And uh, it's a must-have, I think, for us to be successful. It's one of the most difficult and most time-consuming. So I have not gauged that part right. <laughs> oh, Wrong. It is oh, definitely... No, it's it across is, the bear. It is, <laughs> Some a, days. it is a major. It is. It is probably. It, it is the most difficult service for us to provide. The most consumes the most resources, time, effort, equipment, etc. Why not outsource that part? That's something you'd. Uh, I guess uh, we'd have to. If someone was, we'll give you this on, on a peer-to-peer -peer base. I mean, again, I know that you guys have your business model and you're going forward. But you know, if some other community was sitting here, right, and they're listening to the story and they're going, "Well, should we really do the video? Should we to get somebody to outsource it instead of doing it ourselves?" Right. Well, that's something that when you look at, uh, one thing is, of course, would be price. The other thing is reliability mm -hmm. and control of your programming. Uh, of okay. what what you do what you put on there and what you do not put on there. Mm -hmm. You got your local broadcasting that you still have to deal with and provide. You know, you would have to have that inserted some sort of way that let's say, you know, we're in Lafayette, you, the folks want to see the, the la local Lafayette, ABC, CBS, mm -hmm. you know, NBC affiliate versus, you know, Chattanooga or or somewhere else. And then as the transport uh, the cost, if there was some central super head-in mm -hmm. that collected all that video data and, and we all shared it, then that would be the transportation cost uh, from wherever that head-in is right. to to our city. Uh, we would look at reliability, you know, exposure to outages, those kinds of things that you, you would not have, no longer have in, in control. Mm -hmm. But we have an issue today. We pretty much control our own destiny as far as you know, correcting that, that that problem or not, um, you know, as far as the, you know, the programming itself, it, if it was um, outsourced uh, to or or cooperated between uh, the municipals, we'd probably still buy it through the NCTC because of the mm -hmm. the huge numbers they have and the value they can bring uh, from from a pricing in terms of condition standpoint. So you'd be looking at is there cost savings to to have one head in versus multiple head ins. And all the equipment associated with that, we would still need to have, uh, you know, the phone services, the, uh, the internet services. So I guess you, you know, you could eliminate some significant capital costs, mm -hmm. but you just got to look at the, uh, the, the the cost savings versus the, the other things you may sacrifice. Right, because if you get a poor partner, you're probably going to be in a world of trouble because that is the heart of 
your 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 revenue. Right. You're 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 depending on someone to do a good job mm. for, for your community that's right. competing with one of the the fiercest uh, competitors, competitors. And, and there you have this whole issue. Exactly. No, 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 I, I can I can see now where that um you know definitely makes sense where you you you, you have something that is you know, a challenge to operate, but a necessity for the business. So you've got to make sure that you run that as well or better than the other parts of your business. And I can tell you, Craig, price is one thing, but mm-hmm. reliability is crucial. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah, yes. It's, it's got to be up. It's got to be running. Residential folks, when they lose their video, if it's in the middle of the Super Bowl or some other oh, major, they are probably. major event, <laughs> we have people sleep at our end and we're major event. Uh, or if you have a business, you know, that uh, he's got a telecom service he buys with us, and that, that particular telecom service is a certain part of his operating cost. Right. Well, if that service is down, he can quickly lose a lot more money in his business than just the savings he gets by buying a, a cheaper Less service. Less expensive, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. you know, reliability is a, is a, is a key aspect. It, it, it really, you know, customers are not going to be satisfied with a, a cheap product that, goes out right. often versus a, a competitively priced product that is reliable. Right, and I think maybe people have a general consumer focus of, well, you know, I can get it's just bubble gum. So I can buy someone else's service because they're offering this twenty nine ninety nine special right. and don't realize that, you know, if it goes south <clears throat> on them in that like, you know, crucial episode of dancing with the stars then they're they're not going to be very happy campers, or the kids sure. aren't going to be happy campers, or you know, however that plays itself out. Absolutely. Now, this may be really far afield, but this is a general curiosity question. Um, there are a lot of people I talk to anyway who would much prefer to get video shows a la carte rather than to have to buy the whole package of stuff. Is that ever going to happen? Can we ever expect a day when I can just get Batman? We would like that? to be able to do that too. Oh, okay, so is that <laughs> we're, we're uh, you know these these the the programmers that we uh, we have to uh, engage to get the programming we want. There's a lot of times that they'll they'll bundle other other channels with the ones that you really want. So mm-hmm. it's 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 you know quite often more often than not it's we have to buy bundled type packages from the programmers versus a la carte. Mm-hmm. So that's what makes it very, very difficult to try to to, to sell an all court service. I mean, we you know today we you know I think you know for us it's uh, you know you, we have a basic TV tier, expanded basic tier, and mm-hmm. a digital tier. So it's will will it get there? I do not know. I can tell you this: programming costs continue to go up. Um, we're seeing uh, significant increases in some particular sectors, mm-hmm. um, and that's uh, that's very much a concern because we we're having to pass those costs on to our, our consumers. Uh, you know, it. Uh, but from a competitive standpoint, our uh, our incumbent has to do the same thing. Mm-hmm. We just need to make sure that we're acquiring those costs uh, at effective rates mm-hmm. and. That's where the benefit of the NCTC comes. Ah, uh-huh, right, right, right. To ensure right. that we we stay with that large group of millions of customers to be able to to get the economies of scale and the buying power. Mm-hmm. Excellent, excellent. So um, we're about to wrap down. I know my uh, next guest is in the building somewhere, is trying to find the exact location. He'll be here in a minute or two. But in 
you know, starting a network now, whether you do it as a public-private partnership or the utility owns it, what have you, the dynamics are different, the economy is different, the politics are different, for better or for worse, depending, I guess, on where you are. What are two, three pieces of advice for the community that is now thinking about stepping out and doing broadband? What, what, do, you, what do you tell those folks? I think you do your homework. You do your legwork on the mm-hmm. front end, as we discussed earlier, mm-hmm. with the, you know, the with the community on a large scale basis. As many community events as you can go to and speak at and and answer the questions. And there's going to be a lot of hard questions. And you know, just just give the information to the folks of the the benefits and what they might expect. Um, I think that's the uh, uh, the first thing. And also, of course. Uh, your, your local elected officials, your key business leaders, uh, state officials, uh, and if needed, you know, in some cases maybe maybe federal uh, officials. Um, mm-hmm. I think you want to, to me, select a model that is uh, do a good job modeling mm-hmm. your financial plan and what those uh, what your expectations are as far as uh, costs and, and revenues. Try to control your own destiny as much as you can. Most assuredly. When, when you make an investment and you depend on someone else to generate the revenue mm-hmm. and he, that that particular entity does not, then you're left sort of holding the bag. Um, and uh, this is going to be more difficult than you're going to anticipate. Uh, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna meet challenges you never anticipated. Mm-hmm. But they're not insurmountable. There's a lot of folks out there that can help you. There's, you know, other municipal-owned entities that can give you some advice. Um, so uh, I think it's uh, it's going to you know just expect a, a lot of competition, some challenges technically and, and marketing-wise, and uh, but nothing insurmountable. You can you can be successful and Lafayette, get it done. Lafayette has done that. We've just recently gone cash positive. We're mm-hmm. meeting. All of our uh, the revenues we generate from communication system is paying all our O&M costs and our debt service. So we're, we're excited. We continue to add new customers every day and offering new products. So uh, we're thrilled with the way it's going. Great. Well, this has been a very enlightening uh, catch-up conversation to find out what's been going on in Lafayette. Uh, I will take you up on that offer of coming down there. I expect good music, good food, uh, and obviously great broadband. Absolutely. So <laughs> we'll, we have a good time. We'll, we'll definitely take care of you down Excellent. Well, thank you again for being here and much continued su- uh, success with all of your all of your projects there. Thank you, Craig. It's all great. right. Have a all good right. day. You too. All right. Take care. All right, folks. We'll take a – everybody probably want to get up and, and, and stretch for a little bit here. We're in getting ready to go into hour three of the broadcast. Um, the big – and probably the first question that people ask when they're they're contemplating a network is, how do we afford it? How do we build it? How do we fund it? Right? The question of the dollars comes comes into play, and there's two ways to look at that. You know, you're you know, how do you raise money to get it started? I guess that's one factor. So there's three. The second one is, you know, how do you generate revenue and pay for it that way? The other side of the equation, though, is how do you run the business in probably the most cost-efficient way possible and move that project forward. So in essence, you make it easier to move forward 
by uh, making sure that you're you're getting your dollar's worth for every dollar that you spend, or maybe it's getting $10 worth for every dollar that you spend, but you run a tighter ship. And I am very pleased to have um, uh, our next guest with us, Peter Falk, who is the president of Volo Broadband, and also on the, uh, the speaking dais here at the Fiber to the Home Council Conference, talking about running broadband on a shoestring budget without sacrificing speed or quality, which I think is key when you can pull all this together. So, um, Peter, welcome to the show. Thank and you. it's nice to meet you. And uh, I think we just want to jump right in because everybody wants to know about money. How can I save it? How can I make it? So let's start with describing, you know, what have you done in the area of running broadband on the budget that uh, has given you this impetus to tell the world about doing the same thing? Well, we've recently been involved in a couple projects that, that were on the other side of the of the world from running it on a shoestring budget. Okay. And so that, that gave us sort of the, the other side of the of the coin to compare against. And I wasn't sure that everybody had um I, I know that a lot of people are concerned about how they're going to fund it, as you mentioned, mm-hmm. and I wanted to make sure that people don't get unnecessarily uh, dissuaded from launching a cool network. Mm-hmm. So let's let's start with some of the like a general overview. If I'm going to do a network, what are going to be some of my costs, and then how do I control some of those costs? Okay, so your network really is is built out of about six different pieces. You've got the the customer premise equipment. You've got the fiber that connects that CPE to um, your aggregation point. Then you've got the aggregation equipment. And then you've got your core equipment. You've got your internet connection. And then you have to support that. So I, I consider that a yet another component of the, mm-hmm. of the network that you have to There's provide. The customer for. service and the tech support and all of that. So, yeah, right. and, and infrastructure maintenance and all of that. Um, and, and build out. Is, is part of that too because it's it's a f- fine line between putting a drop to a new customer and putting a putting a service in a new area. Mm-hmm. So um, we in in looking at it, we found that there were really three things that you can do to try and uh, keep your costs down. And in general, we were able to find that a lot of things you can do them for about one tenth the cost that you normally. See on on the sort of the list price uh, sticker, mm-hmm. and the, those three things are: you can find the biggest standard and follow that standard. Um, you can find stuff that one industry considers junk or obsolete, and that works perfectly well in your in your industry. Mm-hmm. And you can find ways to support yourself instead of depending on consultants and third parties to to provide that support. Okay. And uh, the biggest standard out there pretty much in this industry is Ethernet. So we've found that there are some wins you can have with active Ethernet when you're trying to do a, a low-cost network that you can't have with GPON at this time. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe five or ten years from now, GPON will be in that situation, but right now uh, Ethernet seems to be the way to go. And that's basically because while in your LAN you're already at one gig and you're wanting to go to 10 gig. Out here in the rest of the world, uh, we are looking at 
you know, 10 megabits or something like that, and we're wanting to go to 100 meg and, t- and a gigabit mm-hmm. connectivity. So that gives us a huge uh, market of electronics and know-how that we can tap to deploy fiber in, in a low-cost manner. Okay. So it's understanding the needs so that when you don't have to get a limousine, you can drive a Yugo to the office and go ahead and do that? Well, a Yugo has, has some negative connotations. So okay, let's not do the Yugo. So I'm let, sorry. So let's talk about what, a Chevy Corvette. What I would say is you can buy an, a 2008 Ford F-150 or 250 mm-hmm. truck, and you'll pay a good 30000 maybe $50,000 for that, depending okay. on what you're, what you're getting. Or you can go on Craigslist, and you can find, if you're lucky, a 2001 Ford F-150 or F-250 truck for $2,000. That's that's the kind of thing that we're talking about. But you have to be careful that you're not in the shop every couple of months, and then it sort of negates the savings, so you've got to shop well. So, first of all... Not, every analogy has its has its breakdown. Right, right, right. So we're not always talking apples to apples there. In electronics, a lot of the time, you buy it and then it works. It, it either fails in the first year or works until you're tired of it. Mm-hmm. And that's the situation uh, that we find ourselves in with electronics. You can get switches and things like that in the in the gray market for about one tenth their their initial cost, mm-hmm. and uh, actually in some cases as low as one hundredth their initial cost. And they, they, you even buy them with a one-year warranty, and they, they, in our experience, work really well. Mm-hmm. And and that's just because of the obsolescence cycle that these other industries have, and we're just in another, another realm. We don't, we're not depending, we're, we don't have the same needs as that that industry, so mm-hmm. we, can, we can do other things. Now, you let's talk a little bit about your company. What is, what does your company do? Okay, we started out being a wireless internet service provider, and that was about 10 years ago. And I should mention that it's feeling a lot in the fiber world, it feels a lot today like the wireless world felt 10 years ago. There's starting okay. to be, it, the, the barriers to entry have, have started to come down. Okay. And that's sort of what we're here talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, so we started out doing wireless because that was the one where the return on investment was, was manageable. Mm-hmm. About five years into it, we started investigating fiber because mm-hmm. it, it was around and there were some opportunities to do stuff. We worked with our municipalities on deploying fiber to the schools and so forth. We're pretty quick studies with technology, so we we, uh, <laughs> we found ways to make ourselves useful and okay. endeared ourselves to the to the municipalities. And uh, that sort of led us down this road. We we bought an infrastructure that was uh, that somebody else was vacating, and mm-hmm. we started deploying our own fiber plant, and we found situations where we could learn uh, the processes either by watching what other people were doing or by, you know, sometimes you take a job that you don't know how to do 100% and mm-hmm. you figure out how to do it as you're doing that. So mm-hmm. we learned through that process over the last few years, and um, at this point we run our own network and three other ISPs networks um, use our infrastructure as well. We operate a triple play provider and we also are uh, working on building out one of the VTOP projects. Mm-hmm. Now, one of, the, one of the questions that comes to mind is what you're doing is a valuable service. What I would worry about are, um, you know, your economic development folks, your city officials, 
you know, your broadband project team that's made up of citizens wanting to move the project forward, well, they may not know a lot about broadband. And so the potential for a not good person and not a good company to come in and take them to the cleaners is kind of high because they won't know enough to know uh, whether or not that person's giving them good advice. Now, this is actually appropriate regardless of who you hire as a vendor. I mean, it could be Cisco or it could be like, you know, Joe Barker's uh, broadband emporium, but there is. But I think that when you when you talk about you know getting something out of value, right? That's the hook, right? Everybody wants to get something out of value, but how do you prevent? Like, how do you tell the good guys from the bad guys? Well, um, that third item in the in the list was learning to support yourself. Okay. And really, what that's saying is that's saying that uh, you need to learn if if you're interested in having a broadband network, if you're interested, if you're a municipality that's interested in building a broadband network, or if you're a company that's interested in some of the people in, in the talk were interested in going from wireless to fiber, um, you, you got to roll up your sleeves and get your hands dirty. And it's that knowledge based on actually having tried stuff out that will allow you to tell what's good and what's bad. Now, I'm not proposing that if somebody knocks on your door and sells, t tells you they can sell you something for one-tenth the price that you should buy that. Mm -hmm. You should not. What I'm suggesting is once you know the kinds of things you need, you can start looking around and looking on in the gray market and looking for ways to cut costs, and you can be quite, quite effective at that. Mm -hmm. So basically educating yourself as much as possible helps make the task of knowing, you know, who's a snake oil salesman versus not is really the, the crux of it all. Yeah, you need to be in the driver's seat, and you, you, you can't you can't operate a network like this unless you are both technically and you have the experience to, to be in that driver's seat. Mm -hmm. um, you, you, you need to take your your written test, but you need your learner's permit too. Right. Okay. Now, what do you? So, does that mean then if you have a project team and everyone's so busy they can't spend a couple of days learning about broadband should you go find a new project team or abandon the project or because time constraint is yeah so the, so the description of having a project team that isn't that doesn't already have their hands in the mud uh worries me okay um that to me sounds like uh you're you're already walking down a road that maybe is not compatible with operating a network on a shoestring. Okay. I, I should mention that you can certain there there are lots of situations where you can operate a network not on a shoestring. Right. Um, for example, uh, grant grant funded. You're not. It's it's probably illegal to deploy a, a network on a shoestring if you're if you're on a grant. Mm -hmm. um, you if you're a city and you're not interested in getting your hands dirty, well, you need to follow. Uh, good engineering practices and hire good consultants and vet them using using standard procedures to make sure that you're not getting taken to the cleaners as you, as you said right um, but uh, if you're interested in doing it and you and you have what you would call a project team and you're still interested in trying to do it on a shoestring well then you need to make sure that 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 team is not just interested in the theory of operating a broadband network, but actually interested in doing it. Mm -hmm. um, and, that, and that's really the, the difference. Uh, consultants are interested in coming in and doing something for a little time and then leaving with your money. 
Um, You're not going to talk me out of business, are you? Because I'm a consultant. <laughs> I don't think there's any way to talk a consultant out of business because, because there's a need for that. No, I'm, for that. I'm kidding around. Yeah. I'm kidding around. But yes, you're right. There. It's just not everybody that needs that. And, right. And if you're trying to operate on a shoestring, often that's not your best value. Your better value is going to be, you know, if you're interested in directional boring, well, look around. You'll see a directional boring crew out there. Mm-hmm. Pull your car up on the side of the road and go start asking them questions. Mm -hmm. And one, once you stop asking questions that make you feel like you're dumb, then uh, you can start asking them to different people. And, right. And then you call up the manufacturer of, of the bore rig that they were using and say, mm -hmm. hey, so I'm interested in your, uh, you know, your JT2720 boring unit. How, how much is that? And they'll tell you this number and you'll... Uh, you'll have an accident, and then you'll, <laughs> you'll, uh, so let me let me think about this again. Let me let me come back to this question. Well, and that's where this one to ten multiple right. or, or divisor comes in. Mm -hmm. um, you can often find that kind of equipment for about a tenth the cost once you know what you're looking for, and you can evaluate it competently. Right. So you can then also say to that manufacturer, "So I'd like to give it a test drive. Can I do that?" And usually they will be happy to have you come by their, their shop and dig up their backyard and, <laughs> and get, your, get your hands dirty mm -hmm. in a safe environment um, with somebody who knows what they're doing telling you what to do. Right. And you won't kill yourself or the people around you. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. It's a, it's a good sandbox. Mm -hmm. And uh, that, that's just one of those learning steps that uh, you, can, you can dive in on. You know, this is actually the first time I've heard someone talk about uh, this in this context. Now, I, I should caveats should say, you know, I've talked to the folks that are uh, they're, they're called Barn uh, Broadband for the Rural. Um, they're going to hate me because now I can't remember the last what the N stands for. Uh, broadband for the Rural for the Rural Network. Um, in any event, they're they're using you know farmers are basically digging their own fiber trenches, right? Mm -hmm. Because you know, they already know how to use all kinds of farm equipment. So someone figured out, well, if we can just, you know, give them a day on, you know, whatever that stuff is that digs up the ground and lays the fiber in, well, maybe they could just lay their own stuff and we save a few bucks and it's confidently done. And there's like even greater uh, sense of, you know, ownership of the finished product because they've actually done part of it with their own hands. I but basically what you're, what, you're, what you're saying is the same kind of thing. It's like go out there figure this stuff out because it's not rocket science at a certain point. It, it is absolutely, at this point in this industry, it is no longer rocket science. Okay. It might have been at one point. And, and there are probably areas of it that are still, you know, you still want an expert. For example, we're from Illinois, mm -hmm. and so our soil is quite simple. If you're uh, yes. going to be directional boring in the mountains, <laughs> you might want an expert to do that. You really want to think that one through. Yeah. So, Or you might want to say, well, then we're not going to directional bore. If we live in the mountains, we're going to find some other way of stringing our... Stringing yeah, exactly. Our um, but I, I just... I, I wanted to mention about uh, the barn idea. That That's just lovely. I, I think that that's exactly what we need more of. We, right. More, more self-started, more self-operated yeah. uh, projects. And I've been uh, reminded mercifully by one of my listeners, thank you, Ed, that the N stands for North. So it's broadband for the rural North. Cool. And they're, they're extremely happy and they're extremely motivated. And it is an interesting story to listen to because when I first heard about it, I called them up. I was like, well, you actually have your own people doing this. Well, what if something breaks? Uh, what if you don't? And she's like, it's a piece of equipment. 
right? So we took people who actually understand how to use equipment that digs up the earth and said, here's just a different piece of it. Go out there and, you know, we, we got, we'll get someone to come in and show you. We're not going to just let you go willy-nilly and, and just do it. But once you do that, people can figure it out. The same way that they said, well, if you hire you know, competent local people and you send them to some sort of training program, they can understand how to do basic level maintenance. They can understand how to do basic level service. I mean, there are certain things. Now, granted, they're not going to do brain, the equivalent of brain surgery on your network, but for a lot of the routine daily matters, which you'd still have to pay someone you know, that, that high salary, you know, even if you don't pay them less, at least you're paying someone locally. So the money stays within the community. So you feel good about the fact that, you know, it's staying at home. It's not going to someone else. A- absolutely. Um, you could you could make the analogy, it's not brain surgery. You're taking a bath. <laughs> you can hire somebody to give you a bath. You could. That's and a it costs second. a lot of money. Yes. <laughs> um, that's what the, the most of the municipalities and uh, – New networks are doing. They're they're hiring people to 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 do that, and you'll get a great bath. You can get a great bath, but it it costs a lot of money, and you don't need to. You don't need to be worried just because you don't know how to use this equipment. Right. Just to abandon that analogy, um, it is it is literally a tractor. A lot of this stuff is a tractor. The, the same companies that make tractors make the guts of these these. Uh, these pieces of equipment, and if you go to any rural town or farmer and you ask him whether he hires someone to come in and fix his tractor, well, I'm sure there are lots of tractor uh, fixing consultants, but Mm -hmm. for the most part, if you're going to operate a farm, you need to know how to fix your own tractor, which means you know how to fix your boring. Okay. So it's it's rather interesting. I guess... um, you know, being a silly, uh, being a silly person. No, being a city dweller, and you can tell them in the last hour of the show. You know, because I was a little more professional and and they, uh, the beginning part. But without losing that, if you are a city dweller, you don't necessarily see things in the same light. That oh, this can actually be done, but it can. I mean, you just have to be more pragmatic about it. Uh, to to understand these things, and I think that to a certain extent, there's a company in Meraki uh, mm-hmm. which builds Wi-Fi equipment, right. and I think they made great strides into getting wireless networks into communities, urban or rural, uh, but heavily urban, because they made it easy to put up the stuff and also to operate it. You know, they gave you a bunch of like pre-formatted templates, right. and you know, they give you whatever training, but you know, it was like you want to use Meraki stuff because, um, you know, your your retail store, your ice cream shop owner could actually figure – I mean, they have to be a certain level of competent, but they could figure out how to run the basics of that network. They could get people on. They could get them off. They could, you know, do, you know post ads if they wanted. I mean, they could do a bunch of this stuff because when you when you – rip away the mysticism around it, which is, you know, perpetuated by either consultants or vendors or both, that there's a lot of the stuff that can be operated um, locally. I mean, literally locally. Yeah. We So we set a, ourselves a challenge when we started working on this BTOP project that um, we would hire all local people and we would 
try and bring new people into this industry. Mm -hmm. And so over the course of about a week, we would train them. And then on that second week, they would be operating in the field. Um, now, they weren't doing directional boring. They were doing fiber installation, which is a little bit, you know, you can't, you can't damage things as badly with a cable. <laughs> but, uh, but it's still, it, it's still part of this industry that people need to know. Mm -hmm. And we found that about a two-week uh, ramp-up time was about right. Mm -hmm. Now we're training people to do drops. And we're too early in it to really know whether that's the same, whether it's two weeks or three weeks. But, mm -hmm. it's, but it's on that order. This is not, you know, PhD-level stuff. You need people who are practical, who have worked with their hands before. Mm -hmm. They learned that at an early age, and they can then transfer that skill to fiber construction. And so there you have it. I mean, that's, that's you know, I guess something that we never really uh, we thought about a whole lot. Are there other areas where you can um, better manage some of the, the, the cost of putting this network out there? I mean, you talked about um, getting equipment that's not necessarily top of the line, but it's still good equipment and still reliable equipment. Uh, you talk about getting people to do some of the heavier, or what are perceived as the heavier challenges by demystifying those operations so they can actually build parts of the network or the infrastructure or what have you. Um, what else can you do? Well, on the software side, um, a bright uh, college-educated or not college-educated hacker type on your staff. Okay. Uh, I'm not talking about what's referred to as a script kitty, right. uh, somebody who uses other people's software, but somebody who knows how to manipulate XML and use PHP and Perl to, to good effect. If you have someone like that on your staff, you can automate many things that can help save you effort and save you time. And where most people would feel lost without a $100,000 software package to do all their stuff for them. Mm -hmm. Instead, you can have that expertise in-house, have that part of your network management uh, uh, staff, and now you can automate things and make, make, your, make your jobs easier for you. And then you can, have, you can cut some of the uh, training out of your program because it's in software. Mm -hmm. So that's another area where you can you can save uh, you can more or less build your own systems mm -hmm. that duplicate the functionality that you need out of a big expensive system. We we built a we built a fiber management database, for example, mm -hmm. where we can do GIS mapping of fibers and look at light paths and all that stuff. Um, it's not been trivial to build that, but mm -hmm. I'm sure that we haven't spent more than I don't know, ten or fifteen thousand dollars on it, and what we've got is something that is completely extensible and integrates entirely into our network. Mm -hmm. So, I don't know that that will be a win for everybody. For us, it was, but that kind of thing where you can build a system out of, uh, well, you know, what's known as a Web 2.0 manner, where you're mm -hmm. where you're integrating other systems. You use Google Earth for one thing. You use you use uh, um, PostgreSQL's GIS stuff mm -hmm. or another thing. You can do a lot of stuff with with that and a smart uh, smart guy on your staff. Okay, so it it um, it's um, a lot of it is, I guess, first removing the fear factor. Oh, absolutely. 
Sure. The, so um, if you are given the task of creating a broadband network in your town and you don't know what that means, you're going to be terrified. Right. And you have two ways of dealing with that. You can hire a consultant to come in and solve your problem for you, or you can go and find other people who are doing it and start looking at what they do. Mm-hmm. Or you can do both. Or both, right. Um Probably your best bet is to do both because the consultants will know some things from other networks that you won't see from the few examples that you try. Mm-hmm. But anyway, you you roll uh, you roll up your sleeves and you you find somebody who's doing this and say, hey, could I could I shadow you for a day and see mm-hmm. what you're doing? Mm-hmm. Um, that gives you the ten thousand foot view that you need to to feel like this is no longer a mystery. Mm-hmm. And based on that, you can start delving into the areas of the problem that you need to solve. And start figuring it out. I, I'm not. I'm not sure that I'm suggesting that if you know nothing about this industry, you should immediately jump in and decide <laughs> to do it without any help. I, that, that's not what I'm saying. No, no, and we won't even pretend to give that as advice because I'll hear about that one later. Yeah. What I what I'm suggesting is that you shouldn't let the dollar figures on a lot of the equipment and the, the prices that vendors tell you for new equipment and new products scare you. Mm -hmm. Instead, you should look at what specifically you need to get your job done, and you may very well be able to find that at a a lower cost. Mm -hmm. And in some respects, it is um, a new way of thinking for, I guess, for industry people, but it kind of conforms with, say, for example, uh, oh, we, we talked about the barn, the thing that's happening in the UK, but there's also uh, EC Fiber. They were a guest on the show at one point, and they uh, have a lot of community involvement in their network. And in essence, the community is buying promissory notes to fund the network. They are uh, electing people to sit on the board to run the nonprofit that, that mm-hmm. manages the vendors that are that are doing ex- implementing. And the, where are the they fiber. out of? They're in Vermont. Vermont, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But you have projects like that in western Massachusetts. There's a community, you know, 40, 50 communities have come together. With that mindset, do you think that that is a more fertile ground for getting people to then want to take on or be willing to take on the challenge to learn and implement these kind of networks? So we're a big fan of the co-op approach, okay. which is kind of what you're kind mm-hmm. of what you're talking about. In fact, we're trying to get our community to move forward with a cooperative citywide build-out. Okay. Um, I don't know if it's uh, if a cooperative approach is a necessary condition for the kind of thing that I'm talking about. I think it's. Also, very similar to the way small businesses normally operate. Mm-hmm. If, if you're a small business and you can find a way to save a little money, you're gonna you're gonna do it, and you're gonna evaluate your cost benefit analysis. Uh, you're gonna do a cost benefit analysis on, okay, I can buy the sixty thousand dollar widget, and I can buy the ten thousand dollar per year support package, or I can buy that same widget uh, at end of life which has the same performance characteristics that I need, and I buy no support. Instead, I buy two of them, and I can still afford to hire a guy for a year mm-hmm. with that with that price package. And I'm now up on one staff member for a year. Right. And, you know, one of the things I've, um, I've been in technology marketing 
since the 80s. And there's a, there's a fair amount of equipment that if you bought it to, when I say equipment, I'm talking about computers or software, that you bought for a certain couple of tasks. And even though the machine stops being sold as new, either it's been bought out or whatever the deal is, that piece of equipment will still keep running doing those half a dozen things that you need. I mean, Sears was one of those companies that bought a bunch of like first-generation mobile devices. And they had a, a checklist of, I don't know, eight, ten different functions that they needed to have done. Well, they kept using those things long after that was being marketed because it still did what they needed to do. They didn't, their, their, their business operation was such that whether it was for ordering or whatever, the delivery uh, of products to customers, it was always going to be done the same way. So they basically, for, they, they did not have necessarily the latest bells and whistles of the app, but the core functionality they kept, and they kept get, you know, getting benefits by it. And they, and they probably found their old hardware was more efficient for them than new hardware. That's that's what we find. We, right. So I would, if you give me a choice of getting a new piece of networking hardware that is, has all the newest bells and whistles mm-hmm. and getting one that's 10 years old, if they both serve my needs, I really might choose the 10-year-old piece of hardware mm-hmm. because there's 10 years of people figuring out what's not working quite right, or right. what doesn't, what, you know, where is the standard confusing in on this hardware? Mm-hmm. What's the failure modes of this hardware? What uh, spare parts do I need to stock on this hardware? And oh, by the way, the spare parts on this hardware are probably going to be way, way cheaper. I can probably afford to have two of them sitting around. Mm-hmm. That that's the kind of efficiencies that I'm talking about um, by using um, last generation. And the trick is to find. A, something like this industry where our next generation is equivalent to another industry's last generation. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's the situation. You have a lot, of, um, a lot of organizations that are now phasing out their one gigabit hardware and going to 10 and 100 gigabit. Whereas in this industry, most providers, even their upstream is not going to be a 10 gigabit. Most most network providers uh, that we're talking about here, mm-hmm. where, you're, where you're even thinking about the budget, you're not going to need more than a gigabit or 10 gigabits for a couple of years. So it's understanding the needs and if you can get by with, like, so for example, um, I did a, I'm doing or finishing up a survey of economic development professionals. And in rural areas, they're, when they view like a list of economic outcomes, that were in the survey, you know, such as uh, making local businesses more competitive and so forth. And then they were asked, well, what's the minimum speed that you need in order to get this done, you know, say by the year 2014? So they said, you know, a lot of them said uh, 100 megs, right, which is way faster than anything they have currently. But when they look at, you know, the number of businesses they have and the number of businesses they're likely to have and what would happen if they all went on the Internet at the same time, they said, well, you know, probably with a 100-meg network, we would be good for some X number of years. So if I'm following your prescription correctly, then you say, well, if there are people about to sunset certain technology, but the technology, if it didn't fail in the first year, is probably going to last till the new millennium, then why not get that product at the end of its life cycle that has gone past the point of if it's going to fail, it's going to fail, 
and we now know it's going to run, and then bring that in to rural communities where the budget is less because they got fewer people. Exactly. Okay. So I think I've, I think I've got the, the, the train of thought here. Now, it happens that this industry, the, the broadband fiber, there's not a cost difference between between 100 meg and 1 gig. And so yeah. you can't buy, as, as far as I'm familiar with, you can't buy stacks of equipment that will do single-strand fiber over at, at 100 meg, um, maybe at all, and certainly not cheaper than you can buy it that does 1 gig. So that's a situation where you kind of get that extra... 10 times multiple for free. Mm, okay. And so you might as well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And is it, is it a, um, uh, a correct assumption that in our industry, in the broadband industry, there is a fair amount of equipment that if it doesn't fail in, say, year one or year two, it'll probably last for forever? That is my experience, yes. Okay. Um, anything, that, anything that has moving parts, you need to worry about, even the fans in the equipment. Uh, okay. But... You can replace the fans with new fans without – that's a $4 fix. Right. Um, the switch itself is between $30 and $150, whereas the new equivalent in you know with, with 20 years of life on its Cisco product line mm-hmm. is four or $5,000. Mm. And it's just – I mean, I really – I have trouble watching people spend that money. Then you must be really disappointed about West Virginia and their twenty-four thousand dollar routers that no one really has figured out what they're going to do with now, other than collect dust. That's what we see a lot of. I, it, it's sad, uh, but that's that's I would say more the norm than the exception, which is why I'm doing the sermons that you're doing. Right? Okay. And uh, I don't want it to come across like I think people who spend good money on equipment are bad. They're good people, and they're and they, they're following a process that has worked in many situations. Mm-hmm. It just happens that in this industry, that's maybe not the most cost-efficient approach. Right. It's also important that those people continue to exist because otherwise we won't have stuff that they're selling on. Right, <laughs> that right, they're right. Rid of. They're, the, they're the top of the food chain. Mm-hmm. Um, but but the, to a large part, you're really looking for an industry that has different needs than your own mm-hmm. that's phasing that stuff out. Right. And, and that, that exists in this market. Okay. So it is kind of like uh, the corporations that basically get rid of wholesale, you know, the most recent technology because they're going to buy, like, two years later, now the most recent technology. And so all of a sudden they've got all this hardware that sits around, but it's more or less functional. Uh, it's just that they need the latest bells and whistles. Yeah, so we actually – that. That's an exact example of something that we that we did. So we, mm-hmm. um, your typical business uh, computer replacement cycle is either two or three years. Okay. Uh, so you either you either have the machines in in house for two years and then swap them out with new, or three years if you're in a little bit of a less um, okay. plush, plush business. Mm-hmm. So uh, we started working with the community college in our area who already was accepting donations of some of these machines that were being obsoleted mm-hmm. and they were trying to give them out as incentives to take digital uh, literacy classes. Mm-hmm. We said 
we looked at what they were doing, and it was on a kind of a ones and twos basis. And we said, look, we can if we if we slightly restructure this and throw a little bit of money at the problem in the thousands of dollars range instead of the tens of thousands of dollars range, mm-hmm. um, so that you can have some inventory. We can take that process and turn it into something where you have really low-cost computers available to anybody who wants one that are perfectly usable and that come as part of the recycling stream of of, of large corporations already in your community, already doing that stuff. Mm-hmm. So that's that's uh, you have to have a computer to get broadband, or it helps uh, it helps to use it at least mm-hmm. and. We wanted to try and help the demand side, and that's that's what we did with mm-hmm. that, using the same philosophy and the same sort of green recycling basis. Gotcha. Now, what advice would you give to communities on how to better manage both vendors and consultants, or maybe you want to take one and then the other, because I think they're probably different enough, um, so that you get the best value overall, but also that you can kind of implement the kinds of ideas that you're talking about because, you know, listening to what you're advocating does well, but maybe it doesn't play well with a consultant's view of what's right in the world. Or vendors, you know, one of the upsides is that, you know, their vendors, if they're good, they provide good stuff, well, you're great. The downside can be, you know, their vendors, they need to sell what they market. So how do you manage the vendor and the consultant relationship so you get your best bang for the buck? It's a good question. Um, I'll, I will take them separately, and I'll start with the vendors. Do it. So vendors are vendors are a great asset to this industry because they, they'll knock on your door and they'll show you new stuff, mm-hmm. and they'll let you try it out for free. They'll sometimes even give you samples. That's part of that hands-on experience that you need to be able to do this this job effectively. Right, to educate yourself. Exactly. Right. Um, there are some things that you will end up buying from vendors, like disposables, uh, uh, things that once they're in the ground, you need new ones and you can't take them out of the ground, like conduit. You, you, I don't think I've ever seen resale of conduit. Uh, <laughs> there's no gray market for conduit. Okay. Um, so... It's good to develop a good relationship with these vendors and to look at the new stuff that they're showing you. And that will help guide you on the purchases that you're going to make. Um, but you need to keep the, the bottom line in the picture. Every, every innovation that they show you on their splicer is going to save you a little bit of time. Mm-hmm. You need to do the cost-benefit analysis on that. How many times are you going to use that feature how many times is, going to, is it going to work right? How many times, uh, how much time are you going to save each time? And does it make sense to uh, then buy the new splicer just to get that feature? Mm-hmm. It's, it all depends on what you're doing. If you're doing, you know, 10 of a particular operation in a year, usually your, your best tool is a smart person with hands. Um, you, you, it, it's not going to be worth your ta- your money to buy top of the line equipment for that person. Mm-hmm. If, on the other hand, you're trying to have a team of people that are operating as fast as possible, and your only constraint is getting it done in the minimum amount of time, well, yeah, you should look into some labor saving devices. 
And you need to be judging that based on money. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, uh, it's a capitalist world out there, and what it what you got to do is you got to do the math and say, how much will this save me? Now I'm going to reduce that by 25 or 30% because you're always optimistic mm -hmm. on how much things are going to save you in money. Mm -hmm. And if it's a strong win, absolutely buy that new equipment. And if it's not, well, then you'll still have your eyes out for it. And when you see that, th that splicer with that new widget uh, on it, up for sale for one tenth of the retail price, you know it's it's worth buying. Mm -hmm. um, now consultants, um, that's a that's I I would say that you want to find consultants that understand where you're at. Okay. If you are operating on a grant, you want to find consultants that understand what will be acceptable use of that grant and what the resources you have to support the network afterwards and who can help you um, put those things together mm -hmm. into this is what you need to do, this is what you need to buy, this, these are the people that you need to train. Mm -hmm. Fundamentally, though, it concerns me when you hire a consultant to do something. I'm, I'd be much more comfortable with an operator figuring out investigating some question on their own mm -hmm. and then perhaps hiring a consultant to critique their process hmm. because you need to know the nuts and bolts of your industry if you're going to be an effective operator. Right. You can't outsource that knowledge. It, it doesn't, it doesn't help you to outsource that knowledge. It hurts you. Mm -hmm. um, but Somebody with a lot of industry experience can definitely come in and say, you know, I see that you're doing this, and I've seen other people do this, and it causes them a problem in a couple of years because they, you know, there's some inefficiency there. Mm -hmm. And then you can decide based on your background whether that whether you're going to take that advice or not. But you're informed, and you're getting experts to advise you. Mm -hmm. So I guess I guess that's how I would say uh, the the most efficient use of consultants and and the really the only use of consultants that is compatible with being a savvy operator. You, you, you need to know your business yourself, but you can get them to help with your process. Now, who of the different types of models there are, I mean, you have the uh, municipal-owned networks, and this may include public utilities owning it. You have uh, the co-op option, where you know the community gets together and they create a co-op and the co-op runs it, or they may have a variation which is the the nonprofit, and then you have cases in which any one of those three—the government, the co-op, and the nonprofit—partners with a private sector company. Now, given those four options, are the the tips and advice that you're giving are they applicable for all four of those, or are, is there one group that would probably better benefit by these? you know, better management practices? Well, well um, these are really tips for the actual operator. So whoever it is, that whoever it is. Network. Okay, right. so it can be, got it. And it, it, it won't always be politically or legally possible to do things like this. Like there, there are many municipalities in which it's not, it's not legal to buy gray market equipment. Right. And so that puts a municipality at a strategic disadvantage. Right. 
if they have to buy the widget for $60,000 that a company can buy for $500, which th 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 those are real numbers, by the way. All right. No, um, I gotcha. it, it seems ridiculous that you can have that, that disparity, but it's really out there. Right. Um, well, it, it'll be harder for the municipality to cash flow positive if if they're building out this network with the goal of it being sustainable, it's harder if you're in that world. Mm -hmm. um, if you're having trouble building a model that works for you, maybe that means that you need to try and find a partner that isn't limited by the, those rules and that can be um, nimble and frugal in a way that you can. So, so that's like saying the... If a municipality wanted to partner with a private sector company, they would do well to find one who is both competent and willing to look at some of these cost-saving measures. Yeah, they want to look. They want to look for somebody who is bottom line oriented. Mm -hmm. It'll save them money in the end, and it'll the, making sure they're competent. That's that's key. You, you right. want to make sure that they're not going to hire consultants to do the job for you. Because that's just adding a whole bunch of extra cost. Right. You want to find people who ideally are in your neighborhood and they have experience doing this kind of thing and you can work with them to get it done. Mm -hmm. Is there value in that kind of relationship because they're local and they'll care more? Or is it just they're local and you can actually find them easier or easily? Well, I, I want to take one step back before we go there. Okay. To the to the municipality that is looking to do this themselves. Maybe they need to look at these that these cost efficiencies and figure out a way to do that within their organization. If they can't find a good partner, then there's nothing to say that they can't roll up their sleeves and do it themselves. Mm -hmm. I, I didn't mean to be saying that, and that's why I wanted to jump Right, no, no worries, I got you. Um, now, looking at local partner versus non-local partner. I'm a big believer in local, mm -hmm. um, and so it's if if you look at the economic impact of having somebody local do your your network. We, we did a we did a model recently where it looked like something like 180 million dollars over 20 years is goes back into the local economy if you do it locally instead of having it done by an outside third party. That's a ton of money, and that's that's. That's on top of any economic development you would get from the network itself. So I think there are very strong dollars and cents arguments for doing things locally. But also, there's a warm fuzzy there. So you can you know that you're providing jobs in your community. And there's also the aspect that you can find them, as you said. Mm -hmm. um, that, that they have a commitment to doing something good. Mm -hmm. The problem is that it's not at arm's length. So if you hire a nationally recognized firm to do something and it fails, you have the IBM defense, which is that um, when back in the day when people bought mainframes, um, if you bought some upstart brand of mainframe and it didn't work, well, they could blame it on you for choosing to buy the, the off-brand. Mm -hmm. If instead you bought IBM... Nobody could ever say that you didn't get the thing that was most likely to succeed. So that's not the cost. Mm -hmm. So 
it, it, I guess it depends on the kinds of risks that you're trying to avoid. Wanting and willing to take as yeah. well, you know. Or trying to avoid. Right. Um, this has been this has been quite uh, you know quite interesting because in large part it's a it's a way of thinking you know and and, yeah, and it's like a way of thinking that is very different um, you know like if I if I look at things that you said over the last fifty minutes um, you know I've heard stories horror stories as it were of people saying that the local council person, the CIO of the city, um, the, the lo- person who's on the economic development council has no desire to deal with stuff that is technically involved, right? So they're a reluctant player to begin with because it's technology and they don't want to learn it. And heaven forbid you find someone who is like, you know, a year short of retirement, right? They're just not, they're not going to go want to go there. And so that poisons, well, it limits your options, right? And it also, I think, then, I mean, the, the kind of stuff that you're you're talking about doing is like almost the 180 opposite because that's like, you're saying take the risk, learn what you need to learn to mitigate the risk, but basically take ownership of that and you got people that don't want to do that. So that, that's a factor. You've got to kind of weigh, are the people really going to be open to the knowledge because of just who they are? Yeah, I guess I guess my response to that would be that if a municipality wants a fiber network and they're not willing to roll up their sleeves, they should let the private sector deal with it. Yes. So it's basically saying, okay, if you're going to take this, these are the conditions under which you take it. Yeah. Um, as opposed, to, okay, and then I can so so you know totally get behind that. There, there's no free lunch, and this is just one more example. Of right. That. And I think, you know, I've talked to some tech folks who say, you know, the, the cost of the pilot project, you know, the cost of taking those first steps, that's your education. So don't be afraid to pay for your education because that's the only way that you're going to make good, better decisions down the road. Yeah, I love the idea of pilot project. That, that I mean, that's absolutely the right way to do it. Try it out. Mm-hmm. Actually do it. So let's talk. We got like seven minutes. Let's talk about you know what are the components of a good pilot project. You want to find a relatively compact area. Mm-hmm. Um, you want to find some people who are motivated to make it happen, um, both in the customer base and in the um, and in the people who are going to be building the network. And you need to get the that basic set of equipment that you that you need. If you're going to do a pilot project and you're starting from scratch, that might be a situation where you hire people to do it, mm-hmm. and then you observe exactly what they do, and you you um, you use the excuse that you're videoing, you're taking videos for the community to take videos of everything that they do, mm-hmm. and then you sit back on a Saturday night and you watch those videos, <laughs> and you say, well, you know, that guy keeps walking back and forth to his truck. I bet that if we gave him a belt and a tool bag. We could do it cheaper than these guys, and that's and now, off you now, go. We're, now we're back to uh, dollars and cents. Mm-hmm. What else as far as the pilot project? I mean, that's that's a good start, no doubt. So, we, we're in the process of evalu- of actually trying to roll out a pilot project to test some low cost rollout procedures that mm-hmm. we 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 think we can get it down to about a third of what what we've seen elsewhere. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'll just talk a little bit about that process. Okay. So we found a town that ha- was in the process of um, negotiating its K-12 
cable franchise. They've been in that process for three years. Good lordy. And our town was in it for six before they signed it, by the way. Um, they are unhappy with their cable franchise because their cable franchise is refusing to do something ridiculously easy for them, which mm-hmm. is to put broadband into the city building. Why they would hold, why the why the uh, cable provider would hold off on an entire franchise agreement for that, I do not know, but that's their loss in our that's game. That's their reality. There you go. Yeah. So we found a situation where the community was uh, motivated to do something different, mm-hmm. and we uh, talked with them about about what we could do for them. And we're not char- charging any money from them because, as you said, this is our education. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to end up, we believe, at the end of the day with a, with a little network that will make money. It, it, uh, we will have spent some money. We will have invested some money to deploy it. Mm-hmm. But in the end, it will be a profitable network, and they'll get some great new service. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about services. Um, we had to select what services we were going to offer, and that's, again, a matter of talking with your target market. Uh, another thing that I keep seeing in this industry is people who dive into it without doing a real market study. Uh-huh. I do not understand that. Makes it's, no sense. It's not hard. Right. There are probably companies in your community that do that for their living. Right. Call up a couple hundred people in your town, do an actual survey of what they would be willing to pay and what they're looking for. Right. And all of a sudden you're standing on rock when before you were on quicksand. Yep. And as an old former marketing person, I wholeheartedly agree. I don't think we talk enough about the fundamentals of marketing. Yeah. And we talked with Lafayette. They were the guests. You know, uh, Frank was the guest before you. You know, talked about the detail of market intelligence mm-hmm. that they do. You know, about all their decisions and their sales and their promos, and then as well as market intelligence, what the competitors are doing. So they basically don't lose their shirts because they have less money to spend than than, than the big competitors in their mm-hmm. in their arena. So you know that indeed makes a lot of um, that makes a lot of sense. Now we got about two, three minutes left. Are you part of the big broadband project in Champaign, uh, Champaign-Urbana, Urbana? Did I say right? Yeah, Champaign-Urbana. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we are. Uh, we were responsible for about a third of the fiber deployment in the first phase of the project, which is okay. the backbone. All right. And we are now responsible for a hundred percent of the uh, the to the home installation portion there. Um, so this is like no minor deal for you guys. You're actually doing oh, a big, big deal. Yeah, saving big money on a big deal. That's good. That's well, good. Well, <laughs> we, we bid it such that we have to save the money. <laughs> we're hopefully saving the taxpayers' money. That's good. No, that's good. Yeah, we believe in putting our our money where our mouth is. The folks at EC Fiber, when they were on, talked about you know they were talking about when you know they get their estimate for doing a project would be. Fifteen bucks a mile. Uh, oh, Christmas was a mile. I forgot some increment, but it was basically they said, but the 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 bigger companies will say, you know, we'll do it for like three times that much money. Yeah. Right. So I said, well, how can you do it less expensively? Well, because we sort of own the process. We own, you know, is a community asset. And he says, when you're spending your own money and you're running the project, you tend to be more conscious of saving money than someone who's from out of town. Exactly. That's a, that's the message summarized right there. And there you go. They mean steal your thunder. I'm sorry. No. It's okay. <laughs> it's okay. Um, the the other 
Every time you hire a layer of consulting or contracting instead of doing something in-house with staff, mm -hmm. you're adding a 30 to 50% markup. And if you add a, maybe three or four levels of 30 to 50% markup, you can start seeing why you, how you go from 3 to $4 a foot boring cost if you're doing it in-house mm -hmm. to 30 or 40 um, with only a, a few more of those layers. Wow. Uh, an excellent show. We've got a we've got a wrap up. Um, I thank you for being the the last guest of the day. It's often you know not the best spot being the last person because somebody in the audience is probably tired and and uh, you know you kind of deal with it. But it's been a good day. You have been a good cap on uh, all this has gone before because this issue of saving money is very important. So I want to thank you for being on the show. This has been awesome. My pleasure. And I want to keep tabs of what you guys are doing, uh, you know, in, in your project in Illinois and see how that all goes. And uh, to our audience who has been with us for either all or part of this show and who may come in later, at least listen to the archive, uh, thank you for being with us. Uh, we've got two more days of these marathon broadcasts bringing you great information on building great broadband networks. Talk to you again tomorrow.